For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. It was inevitable. It was just about the date or whether there would be an extension past the 31st of March. Of what do I speak? The ban on evictions, which would be lift, lifted at the end of March. And many papers carry it this morning. The mail on the front page. Eviction ban is set to end. Uh, they defy the critics who pleaded for an extension And now landlords will be able to throw tenants out again, according to the Mail. The Sun pick up on the story, ban on evictions to be lifted. uh, And uh, we were many people hoping that there would be an extension to it. And one of the things that it will do, well, the Mail calls it by saying that landlords will be able to throw tenants out again because they haven't been able to do that for for quite some time. And imagine also what you probably see is uh, landlords who just want to get out of the rental game will put their properties on the market and sell. Now there hopefully will be something that might dissuade them from doing that because I see in the papers as well that ministers hope to offer tax breaks worth €14,000 a year to keep them in the rental market. That's the kind of carrot or that's the sweetener. People struggle enough as it is. There's more breakdowns in the papers today with regards to your grocery bills, your shopping bills, the burden for a typical family, whatever that might be, uh, in and around €1,200 extra per year for the annual supermarket bills. Uh, A lot of that has to do, of course, with inflation and also any issues with energy. And we've even seen recently, of course, things that you're buying are very much impacted uh, by um, bad bad weather and uh, lack of vegetables and fruit. So 1,200 euros, what they're saying, extra now. That's not the bill for the year, that's extra. They're saying that an average annual shopping bill is likely to be in and around, bizarrely, 7,150 euro a year. There is a story in the inside pages of this morning's sun. It's very important to us here on Lee's side because it's the discovery of a body where Gardaí are investigating the death of a man whose body was found near a bypass road in Cork City last night. Anne Mooney in the sun this morning says that the body was partially clothed, uh, an unidentified male. They have the age, 39, uh, spotted in a pool of water just off Cork's Southlink Road near Douglas Village. Now, Gardaí are treating the death as suspicious and they've sealed off the area. So that's an inside page story making the sun this morning a suspicious uh, story in the sense that the Gardaí are treating it as suspicious. They're also, because we were in touch with them yesterday, we were contacted overnight by a listener regarding an incident down in the Cove area where it was alleged that a male was thrown from a van uh, after him being beaten up. And I hate mentioning this out of the morning, but when we were contacted, we were told that he had a number of fingers removed as well. Awful, gruesome thing. And so we checked with Garda Press this morning and they said they're investigating an alleged incident of assault in Cove yesterday. Male in his early 30s was taken to the Mercy Hospital to be treated for non-life-threatening injuries and inquiries are ongoing. That's as much as they said. In in other news this morning, of course, we, we know of issues regarding Angarda Shikana or indeed trying to get people uh, to enroll and become members of Angarda Shikana. That's been an issue uh, also in places like the Naval Service and the Army for many years. I see Michal Martin was down in Hall Bowling yesterday at the Naval Base uh, and he's saying things along the lines of that they're going to do the best they can to make a career within the Defence Forces a more attractive prospect for school leavers. You may see quite a amount of adverts on, on television and, you know, even on social media popping up all of the time on trying to get people. And, and the ads are fantastic. They really are. They look like, it looks like a great adventure. But many people, of course, are disheartened because of the paying conditions. Uh, a lot before the courts then, there's one story of uh, a woman who was sexually attacked at knife point by her partner. Um, and uh, apparently she was saying in her victim 
impact statement that it was very convenient of him to have no memory of his actions because she wished that she would be able to forget it as well. There's quite a lot of detail into the court case um, this morning in the papers. After the vicious attack, he fled to the UK and was ultimately arrested there on a European arrest warrant. Now, the judge will impose sentence on the accused in March Uh, On March 10th, this is all happening at the Central Criminal Court sitting in Cork at the moment. That's why we're getting so many serious cases at the moment in the court reports because of the fact that we've got a very senior court sitting on Leaside at the moment. But um, the evidence is absolutely shocking uh, behind it, Uh, you know, punching in the face and ripping off clothes. She actually has to run from the house at one stage and he drags her from the front gate up the rocky drive back into the house and... uh, it's awful. He goes on then to sexually assault her at knife point, even saying things like, no, I'm, I know I'm going to jail for this, he says. Um, and then he put a knife to his own throat. It's awful. Um, there's other stories then in lower courts then, you know, whether you work in retail in the city centre or indeed, as I was talking about on air last week, you might work in security at retail. Uh, an awfully sad thing that many shops now have to have security personnel on their front doors. That was never the way back in the day. Um, you know, you might have the odd plain closed um, um, store detective going around in the very big shops. Uh, but other than that, nothing like this. But there was a security man in pennies, had his two front teeth knocked out. He was headbutted by a 45-year-old woman who was stopped from shoplifting uh, Rosemary O'Sullivan from uh, Barrett's buildings. Now, she went through an awful lot of help, actually, for all sorts of issues regarding her mental health, and she's on very serious medication for different things like that, and hopefully it's going to make a difference to her life. But she had previous convictions, including one for uh, aggravated burglary, but she was before the courts yesterday when the judge said the offence would mer- merit a jail term, bearing in mind that she headbutted the uh, uh, security guard and knocked out two front teeth, but the judge said that in the light of all of her background circumstances, he was instead going to impose a nine-month suspended sentence. And one could only hope that this could be the life-changing event for her going forward. And then there's a shocking story making the star of a demon dad uh, who's been locked up for twisted abuse of his wife and his daughter. It's even upsetting to go into the court reports of this one. Uh, awful. He's got jail now for 12 and a half years. Uh, the papers also today uh, talk of the story from Castle Bar. This is, uh, this is a bizarre story because you're somebody who's shot multiple times, uh, left for dead, and then the house is set on fire. And that was the story from yesterday. But the update, of course, was that there was uh, an issue regarding um, court appearances because the, as the Red Tops, they don't hold back in any way, shape or form the the Red Tops, they say, suspected paedophile Johnny Brogan was blasted to death by a vigilante uh, who was enraged that Johnny Brogan had been acquitted of serious sex abuse charges. Um, and apparently the Independent pick up on that angle of the story by saying that the Guardi are now harvesting CCTV footage from businesses uh, to try and investigate the murder of the, the Mayo farmer. They say the murder suspect had a pub row with the person who knew Johnny Brogan, whatever happened there, I don't know. But they then less then led allegedly to the murder suspect going to the home of Johnny Brogan. So that story dominates many of the front pages today. Uh, something that we talked about last week, um, which is the um, blind uh, go go blind or go by bus to Belfast. Not just blind, actually. Many people go uh, for hips and knee replacements and things like that. But they have now passed the four thousand mark with regards to the amount of people the likes of uh, Michael Collins TD and indeed 
um, Danny Healy Ray as well. Uh, they've helped over 4,000 people travel north now for eye surgery alone, removal of cataracts and things like that. And that's a story in the Echo. Whereas the examiner talked to a farmer who's devastated. There's a farmer by the name of Dan Cronin. He's above and lower Colleen's near Blarney, pleading with dog owners to control their animals. Why? Well, he's talking about the devastation that he had to witness after a lamb was beheaded and several other lambs were just torn to bits during a savage attack by dogs on his farmland on the outskirts of Cork City. It's just heartbreaking. And in fact, the examiner carry a photograph of the, of the headless lamb on their pages this morning. You know the toy show, the musical, um, and it's been an absolute disaster for RTE, really and truly. Um, and then, of course, uh, they stopped it and made an announcement at the time saying that they were still going to bring it back annually. Uh, now they're saying they're not sure as to whether they will bring it back or not. I think it's a kind of a way of dealing with the story, perhaps, you know, just to kill it quietly and just hope that it will go away. Uh, all sorts of problems, expensive production um, and an underwhelming interest at the box office uh, decided the fate of uh, Toy Show, the musical. And then all of the papers this morning talk uh, of David Attenborough, or at least the English UK does. I just love that story because he's 96 years old and he has absolutely no intention in the wide earthly world of ever stopping or thinking about retiring. And his work now is probably better than it has ever been. Uh, and he answers the call of the wild like a child at the age of 96. He can't wait to get out there to work, he says. And age is an interesting one because James Nesbeth is taking on daddy duties again at the age of 58. Now, here we have the tabloids again putting their spin on it. Um, his girlfriend had a baby with another bloke. You'd have to read into that story to work out that how that happened. They broke up for a while and she had a baby and they're back together again now. But at 58, he's taken up daddy duties which means when the child is 21, um, uh, it would uh, mean that James Nesbitt would be 70, 88, 89 years old. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's certainly doable. It might be exhausting, but it certainly is doable. But, an un- but a daunting task, I would have thought. Or maybe I'm just living in the dark ages. Your thoughts are welcome on that one if you had children later in life. And uh, I'm primarily talking about dads now because it's a James Nesbitt story. But I'm interested in talking to uh, men and women with regards to having babies later in life. And then apparently, although it is not actually a day that celebrates Employee Appreciation Day, I'm actually told that that was sometime last week. There is research out in the mirror this morning saying that new research carried out claims that nearly four in ten workers in Ireland feel invisible or underappreciated at work. Um, invisible and underappreciated. You could tackle that in many different ways, couldn't you? Praise, acknowledgement, thank yous. Decent pay and conditions, I suppose. And the papers also this morning talk very much about social media. And I love these stories on social media where they say that many people who use social media are so eager to share news that they never actually stop to think whether it's true or factual or not. And that is so true in the world we live in. People are distracted now to get the post out there as fast as they can without ever checking to see if it was actually accurate or not. And I love this story. Um, Do you remember Back to the Future? Certainly in Back to the Future 1. What does the professor put into the back of the motor car for to be making it to go? Wasn't it a banana skin? And he shoves it down into some sort of fusion injector that gave it power. Um, so much power that he could go back and forth in time. I only mention that because they're saying that in 10 years' time, 
Now, 10 years is not a long time. But in 10 years' time, cars will run on batteries powered by baking powder or sea salt. Isn't that amazing? You know, you're not talking petrol anymore or diesel anymore. You are talking about some kind of electric system, but the electric is actually powered uh, by sea salt or baking powder. I mean, it's incredible how quickly we're moving uh, that you could have, because these are very easy to get. You don't need lithium batteries and all of the damage that it does to the planet in 10 years' time. That cars will run on salt in 10 years' time. And the papers also this morning historically talk of many different things. Two jump out, and I may well come back to one a little later on this morning. We should be celebrating a birthday today, and it's happy birthday to the Irish tricolour. 175 years old today. It was first flown, apparently, in County Waterford, 175 years ago, the Irish tricolour. And also... um, and this was one of the saddest events in Irish history, certainly one of the most saddest events in the Irish Civil War, the 100th anniversary of the Bally CD slaughter, as they call it, in the Independent this morning. The headline, a hole was left in the middle of the road and flesh was thrown in all directions. I may well come back to this a little later on this morning, but it was 100 years ago today that you had absolute carnage uh, in Ballyseedy Cross near Tralee um, when the, and with, you know, without going into too much detail at this stage, it was the murder of IRA prisoners at the hands of the Irish Free State. Now, depending on what side of it you're on now, you will be very maybe annoyed about some of the terminology that used in the article, slaughter or murder, but that's what it was, regardless of whether it was right or a reprisal or not. What happened in Bally CD was beyond shocking. And it was 100 years ago today. More on that a little later on this morning. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. I was coming off on air yesterday, actually. I was contacted by a landlord. And we're talking about the lifting of the ban on evictions from the end of March. The government is deciding. This came in when the government were deciding whether or not owners of properties can give notice. That decision's been made now, John, but thank you for the text. He says, it's absolutely shocking. As a landlord stuck in a rent zone area, I get a 14 euro increase a year. Our mortgage is way above the rent and there's 52% tax. There's property tax, insurance. We must replace appliances, repair anything that goes wrong. Who do the government think they are? If I had no mortgage, I'd sell straight away. I'm terrified Sinn Féin will get in and that they will want a notice that can be never given to tenants, ever. Um, Landlords are selling now. And actually, you know what? That's exactly what I was saying, John. I think with the lifting of the ban, people like you, although you can't because you're stuck with with the mortgage, but I don't know. Is there any bit of profit in it? I don't know. To hang in there. But I think an awful lot of landlords now, as John is suggesting, will just sell. Text 0868104106. Can I get to the phone lines if you don't mind? I had hoped to talk to Suzanne yesterday, but it's probably more relevant today with the news that the eviction ban is being lifted. Suzanne, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much for your calling me. Okay, can you hear me okay? It's not the best phone line in the world. Are you on, are you on a speakerphone or anything yeah, like that? Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? No, I, I, I can't. No, yeah. I'll come back after after the ad break. My apologies. See if I can improve it. Back after these. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. All right, okay, I flipped to WhatsApp. See if that's better. Suzanne? Yes, hi, I'm here. That's much I'm better. Here. That's much better. Is today the day... Uh, that your uh, eviction notice kicks in? 
Yeah, exactly. It was just out of the blue. Uh, not out of the blue because last year it turned out unfortunately that the, my landlord who is a lovely guy uh, forgot to pay his taxes properly or something like this so uh, I was asked not to use uh, this uh, that address I used for official purposes like agency uh, revenue and so on you were asked to, to uh, use a different address to claim for a medical mm. card why um because his books and his taxation was a, a different so i was the person an extra person so you know so for taxation things so Okay. Was there uh, was there something to do with the revenue investigating the property and finding yes. him uh, mm-hmm. twenty grand or something? Is it? Uh, uh, I I think so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I think so. And and I told him that it's not my business. You know, I just want to to live somewhere and work somewhere. And I'm uh, I was a full timer, but now I'm disabled and I am a part timer. But I work at the same place yeah. since yeah. I arrived from a middle of Europe. Yeah, from Budapest. And were you were you actually you worked for the Irish Embassy at one stage over there, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. seven years. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and were you up to date with your rent and everything? Uh, yes, of course. Every time, you know, every time, not even a day, I, 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 I miss my rent. That's that's the first thing, you know. Because you were saying to me in some of the information you sent me, just to paraphrase, that you're in a house share, right? And there are five rooms yes. and four of them are rented out. Uh, and he uh-huh. was claiming uh, the fifteen grand a year tax-free scheme for private individuals. But when you put in a claim for a medical card, he asked you, Use a different address. Uh, you didn't. Yes, because uh, um, it, yes, sorry, because it happened at the previous address. Because you, because you, so, yeah, because you are you the extra person that shouldn't be in the house, is it? Yes. Okay, but, I understand. You know, yes. I was I was not forced to move in myself, so it was it was advertised. So no, I understand. You, officially, you were officially there, but he was he yes. wasn't saying that through. Uh, official channels that you that you were there. So when they discovered it, then they f- there was a fine. I, I I suppose yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. And so you were asked to lie. Uh, yes, but it's a bad lie. I mean, not a bad lie, but you know, just uh, asked to go together uh, and you know learn a script and tell this and that to the revenue, and you know, I will be fine just for. You know, just ten percent of that fine, and I refuse that. To go, to go along and to lie in to to the revenue like that, you were in a a relationship or something, is it? Yeah, yeah, okay. and uh, he yes, but you, but I said no. Okay, and when you said no, you wouldn't do any of those things. What did he say then? Uh, that uh, I, I asked him because I, you know, there is always a solution, you know, because people make, you know, mistakes and, you know, something so can be solved. And uh, the person told me that, yes, if I moved out. No, not if you move out, that you would have to move out, is it? Yes, yes, exactly. So, okay. yeah. Okay. So, and, uh, and I said, well, sure, yes, like, I no, will, don't, because don't move out. Don't. 
Yeah, that's that's the thing. But you know, he's you know he was absolutely after me. Not you never was you know physical or something. No, but I know, I know that. Ment- yeah. Mentally, and uh, I had to uh, ask some advice at the uh, the citizen information. Yes. I showed. Uh, oh yes, uh, he 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 took my phone and he. He deleted all his messages, but all his messages I was screen sh- screen uh, shotting, shotted, and uh, and uh, of course I saved as well, just in case. You he know, took I your, never... He physically took your phone from you. Were you there when he took the phone? Yeah, yes, because we were next to standing each other, and you know, I I thought that he's just checking something because you know he was never ever you know physical with me. Well, did he ask so, you for your phone? Uh, yes, to check uh, the address I use right. at the at the revenue and and the, I don't know what to. I, I told him that this is the address and he just take it from my hand because we were not fighting for it right. physically. But yeah. you see, just so you, you handed know, over the phone. Then he just started. Yeah. To, yeah. What did he do? And he deleted all his messages, and uh, uh, he just changed his name, uh, his name, and uh, my love. He changed his name, <laughs> name, and yeah. my love. So he he, he saved it in a different. My love. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yes. I mean, you weren't was, in. You weren't in a relationship. You weren't. No, it was not. Jesus Christ! No. No, I no, know, no, I know, no. I know. And then no. after he deleted all of them, he gave you back the phone. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I told him immediately that I I saved all the messages, so I I have everything, you know, because because I had to save some. I have to. Uh, just save some somehow yeah. myself. Yes. I didn't want to cause any problem to him just by for myself. Yeah, yeah. It sounds sounds to me talking to you that you're very anxious and upset. You sound as if you have a lot of anxiety. Oh. Yeah. Yes, I am. I I'm not able to work this year. It's I had a brain surgery and aneurysm. You know, back on in the nineteen. 95 or something and <clears throat> so i i'm 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 fine but you know i uh, it's difficult to you know something just changed i can handle the situation maybe slower yeah. or uh, more, i'm more quiet yeah. i was so you know you know i try to be polite yeah. just your own little bedroom and you're sharing the kitchen and you're getting along with everybody and you're paying your rent on time and you're doing everything you're asked to do. Um, yes. I, I don't I mean exactly. I, I don't mean to I don't mean to pry about your age, but imagine you're you're of an age where you you just want to be comfortable I, and settle I, down. Yeah, I'm almost 60, so I, I'm over those party times. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I don't drink because of the medication as well. And yeah. uh, I quit smoking because of my age and the COVID as yes. well. Yeah. So and what, did the, what did the citizens' information um, say to you when you went to them? Oh, it's difficult. So I had to go to RTB, and um, they are lovely, and uh, we we find we filled out a form and we uh, send it to to the RTB. 
but uh, then uh, the landlord find a bad dated uh, uh, an agreement that uh, I'm just uh, renting a bed in his house because uh, meanwhile he moved back to his house moved in yeah 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 so so I have no right so it's um, so I'm you know, it's a well, favor. Was, was, just... Did you originally have a, a kind of a, an agreement or a contract saying that you were renting week by week? Uh, you see, I, I because the previous uh, uh, one was a, a monthly, uh, you know, a monthly way, you know, a deposit at the bank, and uh, that uh, person was a friend of his. So I, I absolutely trust him, and you know, it's you know, I, I had not even. Uh, think about, thought about that, you know, just... Yeah, yeah. but it's precarious that, to be living week to week or... Yeah, that, that, that's Very rarely thought. have I heard somebody who was, who was in a, renting a room on a monthly basis yeah. or a weekly basis. It's very risky. Yeah, and, and that's my, my fault because I absolutely forget about those. My father passed away uh, three months ago and... I do have a um, autistic brother, so I had to, you know, organize several things as well. So, uh, I were you supporting you know, your brother? Such, were you working to support him? Uh, yes, but uh, thank God, my sister is, uh, you know, Canadian citizenship, so they live there, yeah, and uh, okay, my okay. brother was, uh, you know, so he's there. So because, because you refused, to, because you refused to lie, and refused to go along with this made-up story, um, you yeah. were told that you have to go now. Uh, yes, uh, after a week, but I was just waiting because he will, uh, told me that he will find out something and he told me that, uh, okay, from now and then I don't need to pay anything. I just have to move out before Christmas. But it's very, very difficult, uh, you know, to move out before Christmas. Plus, it's a house in crisis. Yeah. And uh, so he said there's st- no you house. You stayed across right. Christmas and into the new year and you're still there. Yes. But he's, he's, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And he just uh, texted me that uh, when I move out, uh, you know, uh, I will pay just for the... Um, just for the utilities. Yeah, yeah. But was at one stage was he looking for you to pay some of the tax bill? Uh, you know, I don't ask. I mean, you mean his tax? Yeah. Or my my tax? I I pay my tax. You know, uh, at yeah. my work because I am. A, no, no, I know. I, know. I understand. I understand. Um, you, yeah. You, you you shouldn't move out though. You should get onto threshold. Uh, yes, that's what I, I did, did, but, uh, you know, he was very angry, that thing, because, uh, and told others not to speak with me, because, you know, you can never know what I will tell, you know, what information I'm collecting. Uh, well, I mean, you, you know, you're you're not going to be telling lies for another person to be making profit out of your lies, you know, that's not... Exactly, I, I don't, I just, I just stay at home, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, um, I have depression, so yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to leave. And he found me a place, for example, where I should have to then salsa because he was a salsa teacher. Uh, I mean, the next landlord, his friend of him. And I said, no, because 
I should like to, you know, just go away. Just, 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 just. So you I would, you to. would prefer just to go now because it's not comfortable. Because it's, absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to dance. Also. I'm, you know, I'm not a dancer person, first of all. And, uh, you, you know, have to, you can never you would know. move to another house where the landlord is a salsa teacher. Yeah. Well, what does that exactly. happen? You know, why, why is that? Have anything to do with you? Because you know, it, it for him it will not be a problem. So I simply move out. Everybody will be happy. He will. He will not. You know, it's up to him. He will how he handle his, you know, taxation yeah, but problems. It's, it's not so much about you as about about him. It's it's more to do with what you're going to do or the situation that you're in. Well, could we give this landlord a phone call, or do you want do you want to left leave it alone? Uh, yes, uh, and uh, and uh, even uh, the the mm, threshold uh, called him to leave me alone, and uh, it's fine because it it works. So he just say hi and very politely, you know. He like say yeah, so is he leaving you alone now to to live there quietly? Uh, yes, yes, but uh, he's texting me when when I will give the keys. When when I will move out because the time is ticking, and you know it's 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 very very, you know I I cannot uh, sleep because you know I, I I don't know really you know what the next day will. And all of this is yeah, and all of this is because he was caught out by revenue. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's because not everything that's, was. It was that's everything all was, I want. Yeah, yeah, everything was fine until he all of a sudden. Got cut out by revenue for something like twenty grand, and uh, the whole thing started to pile in on top of him. And you have to bear the yeah, brunt of it because you won't lie and you won't say that you were in a relationship with him, and you won't say that you never paid rent and all that kind of stuff. Jesus, yeah. no, it's no, no, yeah. I, I, I couldn't. So yeah. it's, it's, it's never. And uh, so he says that uh, he will, uh, he's going to sell his house. So the others three of. Us uh, will not pay their taxes from the first of April or the thirty of April because uh, he's going to sell his property. You, this one because he has another one. Okay. You're saying you won't pay your rent? Uh, I will pay my rent, but he said that I don't have to pay my rent. Just the utilities, but he didn't say me anything. Okay. How okay. much? When, because right. I have to move out today, but everybody says not to move. Because, and it's today the day. Uh, it's today the day. Yeah, today at the, at one o'clock. But you know, first of all, I have nowhere to move, and second, I will be homeless uh, on my own decision. So it's it's not a good thing or or something. Where would I, you go? Uh, for, I I I can go to a BNB, but for a long time, you know, I I cannot really go. I I spoke with uh, Cork Simon, so but they are, uh, you know, absolutely. Uh, of course, they are busy, uh, but you know, after a while, uh, my I don't have a huge amount of money, you know, saved savings. And is this uh, your, your is this your home now, or would there be any contacts back in Hungary or anything like that? No, nobody there. My uh, father was the last uh, person uh, who was, you know, the family member and everybody. So nobody's there. So you're a pre- in a very precarious. You're in a very precarious situation. 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I decided to move to Ireland and uh, because there was nobody there, you know, for me. Just, you know, my father was the last thing, you know, the last Correction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's uh, he's up to yeah. He's up to all sorts of yeah. stuff. Um, he's got uh, yes. rooms rented out and claiming the tax-free scheme yeah, for and private landlords. Because, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and because of my age, you know, rent. and my rent, so me? there is no mortgage or everything can be, uh, you know, can be think about it. So I have to uh, find another room, but it's not so easy. It's not. It's really not so easy. And it takes time. Yeah, how much is the rent for a room? Uh, no, it, it's 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 uh, a six hundred and forty, which is which is quite you know n- nice for a room. I think, but yes. And he's renting five of those rooms, is he? Uh, the f- the fifth one was a, an absolutely, um, you know, um, different exit, and it was an apartment, a one-bedroom yeah. apartment. Well, it's uh, all that's all very well, but it's at least three thousand two hundred euro a month in rent for the bedrooms. And if yeah, there, and if there and are tax the, issues, there is another there, house. Yeah, well, and uh, that's fine. But if there are tax issues involving the rent on a monthly basis, well, you know, he's uh, yeah, going to have I a lot to answer for. Yeah, I think that was the main problem. Yeah, well, clearly it was. It, Something happened when the revenue came calling. It's it's a handy rent roll though for one house over three thousand two hundred a month. And um, what 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 are you going to do today at lunchtime? What is your plan? Uh, and now I at first I I thought I will commit suicide because I tried once after my mum passed away and I I couldn't really handle the situation. Because I had to work, you know, and be happy, and you know, you know, and I was told that uh, time is help solving the problems, but it didn't. So I'm still here. So I'm so strong that it's, it's incredible. So I I refuse that option. So I I think uh, now I'm going to my GP yeah. to tell yeah. me just a uh, 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 note that uh, you know what is my you know illnesses or something so maybe you know will be helpful or useful or just in my file or something so yeah, yeah. so like this that hopefully you know if if i if i uh, uh, looking for uh, the the room in full time you know sooner or later i will i will I will find something because, and I don't drive. Uh, since I know, like but for for, to, for today though, uh, and incidentally, it's very. I'm very saddened to hear that you're having those kind of thoughts. Um, you know, you need to, you need, yeah. you, you need to, you need to try and get help in that regard and pick up the phone and yeah. talk to Samaritans or, you know, um, I, talk yeah, with a friend I, I, about that. Don't 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 be on your own in the next few days. You know, don't don't get. Don't get so down that you might do something that would be tragic. Yeah, I really try that. You know, I just write my thoughts, so yeah. it, it helps. Yeah, yeah, that helps. I'm, I'm, I'm a survivor, so so yeah. it must be. Um, and so life is going on, and you know, I saw much, much horrible stories, so I can't complain, but still very annoying. 
Well, it, it is because he didn't do what he was supposed to do down through the years and he didn't return the income that he clearly should have been returning. Otherwise, the revenue wouldn't have come looking for uh, unpaid tax. You were asked to lie, all sorts of awful lies, deleting the messages on your phone. That's bullying. Like, that's that's intimidation. Yeah, yeah, that's, and, and yeah yes. that's what I was told. And yes, are you going to move out today? No, because uh, I was told if I move out, yeah. uh, it means that uh, I will be homeless for my own decision. Yeah. And my, my case is uh, at the RTB because they will decide this is not a proper eviction because yeah. uh, so oh, you yes, stay you stay put and if he says anything to you say that you are already yes. in touch with the with the RTB they're investigating your case uh, they will be in yes. touch with him and there will be a full investigation and you've been told to stay put until then yeah, yeah, exactly. So just just to sleep properly and work and save yeah. okay. money again. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Do you, you want to, do you want us to call this landlord to see what he's got to say on the subject? You you can, you can, you can speak with, uh, with yeah, him, okay. so no okay. problem. So okay. there is nothing to hide. I mean, no, I'll just because I'd be mad keen to get but, his version of events just to see exactly what's the story exactly. there. But uh, stay stay where you are and stay in close contact with the RTB and indeed with Threshold. And listen, if you're feeling any way down, because clearly you are, Suzanne. Um, are you aware of the Are you aware of the of the Samaritans helpline? Uh, yeah, I I spoke with Pieta House, so oh, you know, it, so I I I you know I I use my brain. Okay. okay. So I stay in I touch must. with them as well, right? Let's, we'll give the landlord yeah. a call on, on this one just to see what's the. Of course, because the there is always two two side of the perhaps, story, and perhaps there is, perhaps there is. Let's see. Anyway, hang yeah. in there. Don't go anywhere. Don't move. All right. Stay in your bedroom. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. I'm going to the G- to the GP and uh, I go to the Good. threshold. Maybe. Good. They will. Uh, yeah. Good. Okay. Thanks for airing thank it. It may so make much. all the difference. Okay, Suzanne, thank you. We'll be back to your text. 0868104106. That's the world we live in, boy. Everybody has their own exclusive story and their own exclusive worry. Uh, and a lot of it always seems to do with having somewhere to live. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104106. Red FM. Text 0868 Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Aoife, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I, I, it wasn't the easiest story to follow, but I hope people got a gist as to. Did you get a gist as to what's happening in Suzanne's life? I tuned in halfway through, and I didn't like kind of got the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And like, look, everyone deserves to have some bit of shelter. Like, your heart kind of aches when you hear that someone's going to be homeless, and you can't help all the homeless because we only have so much to give ourselves, you know. Yeah. But um, and look. I'm just after buying a house. Obviously, when you buy a house, you're, you're kind of half struggling yourself. Yeah. It's not that I want to bring off the girl. I don't. But like short term, if she went to the room, I'd happily help her. But obviously, I've got a child and I need to know some level of background. Ah, uh, Listen, I tell you what, it's a lovely offer. Know. It's a very generous yeah. offer of yours. All, all I can do in that regard is pass on her details to you and, uh, and you could hook yeah. up and chat with her yourself directly. But I think it's a very generous offer. I think the best yeah. course of action for her is to stay where she is, not to be dominated or bullied by this, um, because, yeah. you know, the situation is not of her making. But I will pass on your number to her. I certainly will. 
do I, I missed the first part of it so I don't really know no what you're very kind you're I, very kind I don't expect kind. you to go into it or anything like okay, um, okay, okay but look the offer is there if she wanted something short term if it uh, comes to that to thank you for the offer yeah. it certainly and is a stopgap for her and I'll pass on your details yeah. you're very kind yeah and the only reason I say short term is because obviously I have a child and I really need to prioritize and figure out I know. And I'm into my home. I understand, understand all of that. Well, and I, listen, my heart does weep for her. Walk through it carefully. I'll pass on your details. Thanks, Eva. Take care for okay. now. Cheers. You're very Thank kind you, to pick up Debbie. the phone. Text to us six eight one zero four one zero six. Some very kind texts on that, but others not too kind. People saying people like Suzanne uh, needs to go back to Hungary. Uh, they are a total draw on our welfare system, which is interesting actually because it segues to what happened on on Saturday to some extent with regards to the protests on the Grand Parade. In fact, um, we were contacted again by Mick Barry TD when we got off air, saying if you really want to be fair to everybody and get an impartial impartial view as to ha- what happened on Saturday, you should talk to one of the journalists who were there, uh, journalist with the Echo, Donald O'Keefe. Donald, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, and I think Mick Barry got in touch with you to ask you to come on air to um, give an impartial view. I have to have to say, it wasn't a very impartial article, however, was it? Well, I, I would disagree with that uh, complexion, Neil. Okay. Uh, okay. I was there from just before midday. And if I could say, Mick rang me and asked if I would be willing to talk to you. And I said, if you wanted to talk to us, then yeah. Yeah. I'd, yeah. Be, I'd be happy to give what I saw. I arrived just before midday. There was a gathering at the National Monument uh, up by the Nanonagel footbridge. Uh, There's about 500 people there. It was a very warm, cheerful, friendly atmosphere. Lots of um, lots of music. Martin Lee, he sang his song, Everyone Should Have a Home. Uh, Magella, Magella Murphy uh, recited her poem, uh, Change for 2023. There was a brass band playing. It was a real, really nice, friendly atmosphere. Now, down outside, that was the uh, anti-racism uh, Fox says no to racism, yeah. 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 No, uh, down outside the library, there was uh, another another demonstration uh, which I suppose could be classified as anti-immigrant or anti-immigration. Uh, no, that was starting to build, I suppose, from about maybe half twelve, quarter to one, uh, at, at 10, 20, 30 people. So from uh, about just about quarter to one or so, a very small number of those people came up towards the monument uh, and there were some very angry exchanges with some people on the peripheries of the anti-racism uh, grouping crowd. Um, I witnessed uh, there was a scuffle. There was a selfie stick broken. There was a scuffle. Uh, it was a very big, big young man, uh, very angry, shouting about the housing crisis, yeah. talking about uh, we should house the Irish first. Uh, Mick Nugent from Sinn Féin engaged with him, and Mick was, Mick, I think, diffused the situation. He, he was pragmatic, he was calm, and he knew the man. And he was talking to him, you know, it was it, it was a fair exchange, and the man seemed somewhat mollified by, by Mick's words and he agreed to head back to the library to the other group mm. now at that point there was another scuffle there was a, a small woman whom, whom I, the declaration of interest I know the woman her name uh, she, she's a she's a mother and baby home survivor uh, she said she was okay to be named and then Sheila O'Byrne she lived here she's from Dublin she's part of the East Wall says no group uh, Sheila is a mother and baby home survivor. She lived here in Cork for over 20 years. 
Uh, she was very anxious in talking to me to impress upon people that she's not a racist. She said she is, in fact, protesting against inhuman conditions that people are living in, in uh, direct provision centres. Now, a man, a very, Sheila's a very small woman, um, and she's in, I hope she'll forgive me for saying, but she's in her 60s, mm. and a man who was very tall, um, over six foot tall, wearing a hood and uh, a face mask, he jostled her and um, uh, tried to take her sign. She had a hand, hand-drawn sign saying Eastwall says no. At that stage, the Gardaí had arrived. About a dozen Gardaí had arrived on the scene, and a Garda intervened between the two. Um, and Sheila got her, her sign, and she was delighted, and she headed back down toward the library. Mm. So sometime between... Now, the guards formed a cordon uh, between, uh, if you like, with their back to the... National Monument, so with our backs to the uh, the anti-racism campaigners. Now, they did walk down toward the library, the Gardaí did, with the crowd behind them. That was, I would be lying if I could give you an no, you, well, line, I, I actually have seen the video. I have seen the video of that, where you have a line of Gardaí marching towards the um, other side, if you like, which would be the, as being called, the anti-immigration rally, Um with all of the Cork says no to racism rally behind the guards all marching together. I mean, was that not confrontational or what? That's, I, that, as I said, I would be lying if I give you an exact time, but that took place sometime, I'm pretty certain, between one o'clock and two o'clock. Um, what, your, your question, I, I asked Mick Barry a very similar, I spoke with Mick last night and I asked him a very similar question and I asked, why were you allowed to approach the other group in such a fashion and Mick said he didn't know he wasn't at the forefront at that point but he said you would have to direct your questions to the Gardaí but he'd had a conversation with the Gardaí himself and no, Mick Nugent no, I, I saw the video of them talking with guys you saw the you saw the video and if you if you watch the video you can see Mick Nugent and Mick Barry talking with the Gardaí there is a really clear cut after that okay. and then and then you see, sorry, I can tell you, that conversation between Mick Nugent and Mick Barry happened around three o'clock. The, the advance, if you like, uh, toward the library happened before two o'clock. Oh, so there's a yeah. slicing there. Yeah. Now, how, how I can say that with certainty is by three o'clock, uh, the crowds, sorry, and I, I should say, apart from those scuffles, up at the edge of the National Monument crowd, around quarter to one, thereabouts, there was no further violence per se. It was very loud, very aggressive, and I would say on both sides. Okay. However, however, the Gardaí stood with, no, make of this what you will, the Gardaí were confident to stand with their backs to one side and were facing another, another side, which was the anti-immigrant uh, protesters. Uh, and it was the anti-immigrant protesters who were doing all the running, who were approaching, running up, shouting, roaring abuse at the other people. I'm not saying for a second that the anti-racist uh, campaigners were quiet or indeed were not, you know, uniform. I'm not saying that they were not uniformly uh, meek and mild there, there were some very loud exchanges from both sides. Okay. But at three o'clock, how I can say with certainty, Mick, Mick Barry approached me and said, I've just had a word with the Gardaí. Uh, myself and Mick Nugent had a chat and we asked them, if we move back 
up towards the monument. If our, if we persuade our crowd to move back towards the monument, will you, the Gardaí, will you stand your ground here? So there'll be clear water between both groups with the Gardaí in the middle. And Mick Barry told me, you told me this off the record, how I can tell you that is I spoke with him last night, and he said, yeah, go on, you can tell, tell the world, no, I don't care. Uh, so the, the guards were willing to do that, Mick says. He then, he and McNugent and a few others put it to their crowd. Uh, that sounds derogatory. I just mean put it to their people on their side of the line. Mm. Will you move back? And they got a really certain no, we will not. All right. Because it will be seen as a retreat. Now, the video, I've seen the video as well. And there is a clear cut after you see the two mix talking to the guards. Uh, and it's it's very amicable. You can see... There's, there's no sense of confrontation. It's, it's a really relaxed conversation. Then there's an edit, and then you see the, the march toward the library, which actually happened uh, at least an hour earlier. Okay, I hope you're going to hold That's on, that. because I do want to finish the conversation um, rather than finishing uh, two-thirds of it through the story after 10. But right now, I need to take a break. we got news next. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Here's some of the audio that was recorded from Saturday. The National Party is a Nazi party. The National Party is a Nazi party. You're a thief. 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 You're That's both sides. That's both sides. Uh, Donald O'Keefe, journalist with The Echo. Do we ever think we'd reach a day when we'd hear this kind of audio or this kind of shouting or abuse on the streets of Cork? It was extremely ugly. It was extremely loud. uh, And it it was extremely aggressive, as I said earlier. The Gardaí were, however, standing with their backs to one uh, party and facing against another crowd. Now, Neil, you can accuse me of bias and you can say my report was biased, but I reported what I saw and I was there for four hours. And uh, as I said, it started on one side. I don't know about bias. I'm talking about unba- I'm just talking, I'm just talking about balance. Uh, like, forgive me. I, I wasn't saying that what you were reporting was inaccurate. I mean, if if there was an issue, and and it's, and it's your work. It's it's not mine. I mean, but you did speak with many many different people from the anti-immigration protest group. You talked about the band, and you spoke about the people that were singing, and then you chatted with a lot of the people who were there. Uh, but the other side of the rally didn't get a kick in a stampede with regards to any spokesperson at all saying why they were there and the reasons behind it. That's that's the only point I'm making. Yeah, well, sorry, just to correct you, you're saying I spoke with the anti-immigration side. I actually did. No, I spoke with... No, I'm saying you spoke with... You spoke at quite some length with Cork Says No to Racism. My apologies. Yes, I did. And I spoke with them at length because, look, in terms of simple logistics, they were there first and... After things kicked off, it was quite heated. It was. Yeah. It would have been difficult to say. No, I, sorry, I did go over. I made several attempts to speak with people, 
on the anti-immigration side. Uh, I spoke with a few people whom I felt it wasn't fair to include their commentary. Yeah. Some people I spoke with, I felt that what they were saying was absolutely inflammatory. Yeah. You you would not have it on your radio program. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we wouldn't have what they were saying in, in our newspaper. Okay. The, uh, I also spoke with one man who followed me around eyeballing me until I until I said to him, and you know, that, sorry, I know, I know, it's it's not the most peaceable phrase, but I said to him, "Are you all right?" Yeah. That you know, that's yeah. probably how you start a row in Cork, to be fair. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I said, are, "Are you all right?" And he said, "You threatened me with a hammer." I said, "What?" And he said, "Yeah, I met you before. You threatened me with yeah, a hammer." Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I kind of I backed off at that stage, and I said, "I'm on, I'm on a hiding to nothing, or, or possibly on a hiding to a hiding here." Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah, no, I did, I did, Neil. I went over. I, I spent, I made several attempts to speak with people, um, but that's look, that's what what happened. Uh, I. No, yeah, I, I get, I, I understand, and and it is, it was does sound to me as if it was very much inflamed, and we heard some of the audio there. But one of the one of the criticisms that that I would always get is not hearing both sides, um, and 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 people get enraged then when their voices aren't heard, and it kind of gets worse than if people are driven underground and don't have an opportunity to share how they feel. You know what I mean? Well, uh, well, okay. If you want to hear the other side, we're being replaced. We're being replaced by. And uh, look, no, I'm I not. No, like I'm not. Even, no, I'm. Listen, I'm not. I'm not asking it, you to call out what stopped, they were saying. Well, stop, stop the, stop the plantation. That was the National Party's uh, line. So I, I spoke to someone from the National Party. I was told uh, we're being replaced. Africans have no place in this country. They will pollute and damage this country. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, I said, and who's doing this? We're sending African people in, and we're. By the way, we're. A, we're, abortion is wiping out white people in Ireland and that's why the globalist agenda uh, mm. allowed abortion to be introduced so I said who's the globalist and of course you know who the globalist agenda is mm. it's, it's Jews it's, the, it's mm. the oldest racism in the world so if you, if you, if you want to go there that's, that's the other side mm. So no, I've heard I've heard much of that. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, how, how? No, there are an awful lot of very angry people on both sides, and I, I suspect you you wouldn't need to be a psychologist to to maybe venture the the suggestion that maybe people are angry about other things and people latch on to things and people are perhaps taken advantage of by other people mm-hmm. who are who are perhaps not acting with the most noble of intents yeah That's there, there was there was criticism though that the uh, Cox says no to racism rally was organized um having known that there was going to be an anti-immigration protest uh, at at the library and that that's why it became so confrontational that their rally got hijacked by, if you like, the other side. And then, I suppose, to see video of the Cork Says No to Racism group walking uh, with the security of the Garda Shagan in front of them towards the other rally. I can't understand the reason behind that. I just can't for the life of me. Why that would happen. No, I think that line, that line has dropped. Are you still there, Donald? My apologies. Uh, Neil, I'm really sorry. The line went there, uh, and I, I got a, a kind of a feedback, how, how, so I'm not okay. sure where. How, how I am. did sorry. it? How did it finish up in the end? It finished. Um, it really dwindled away uh, from about three, just three o'clock ish onwards. The numbers had dwindled on both sides to, I'd say, two hundred on the uh, anti-racism side, and over 100 on the uh, anti, anti-immigrant side. 
So you you had um, at that stage the the people at the library were dwindling and were were so you had your core if you like of two hundred on the monument side and the people by the library were dwindling away and slipping away uh, and there there was there was a few uh, wits cracked the line they have to get back to the train get the train to back to Dublin. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. The, the um they it finally finished the the last of the anti immigration people left about twenty to four and at that point the uh, anti racism people uh, applauded cheered and sang uh, they, they chanted I think it was Cork Cork says yes and they they sang solidarity forever and yeah. they dispersed then as well. And what, what, do you have thoughts on this other march that's planned um, for March 25th, a Saturday in the middle of the city? Cork says no to racism on Saturday the 25th of March. If, if that was that bad, um, could we expect worse? I don't know. Neil, you'd, you'd really have to talk to the organisers. I genuinely, I am just a reporter uh, who's trying to be fair on, to both sides I, or, or to everyone I think uh, you'd really have to talk to the to the people who are organising yeah. these rallies yeah yeah okay okay Donald appreciate you coming on the air we have much clearer ideas to what happened on Saturday afternoon because of the fact that you were there reporting it and I thank you for that well, thank you my, my, my colleague from Cork View I should say Imasha Costa was also there and she, she and I were standing more or less side by side for for most of the of the, of the four hours. So um, I, I'm not sure if you've if you've if you've tried to contact Amasha, but she will. I, I think she will probably uh, yeah. back up a lot of what I've said. Yeah, the, the, but I think one of the reasons why uh, Mick Barry wanted somebody who was there on air was because there was criticism of yesterday of him of stoking things up. He really, Neil. He was look. He's 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 a, an old hand at politics, and he's an old hand at at. at sorry, I, I shouldn't say that. It's very unfair on Mick. He's, uh, look, he's he's a public representative. He is somebody who knows politics and who knows how politics works. But genuinely, the man was attempting. He and Mick Nugent were attempting to. I think de-escalate things. Okay. Uh, I should venture an opinion, really, yeah. but that's what it looked like. Okay. They, the reason, as I said, it's not in my report because Mick said that's off the record. Yeah. I rang him last night and he said, "Yeah, tell the world I don't care." Yeah. He okay. said he, he really felt that he had been badly misrepresented. That that, that video is that video is clearly doctored. Uh, you, you can imagine now that I have many, many who are already in touch with me already saying that it wasn't doctored. Yeah, well. Yeah. Look, I, I can give you the timeline. I can tell you the Guardian moved forward with the uh, anti-racism protesters behind them. That was, as I said earlier, I couldn't give you an exact time, but it was sometime, I would say, between one o'clock and two o'clock. Okay. okay. Uh, and the I know that Mick Barry approached me about three o'clock and said, I've just tried to, I've just had a word with the Guardian. I've suggested if my our people move back, and our people have said the Guardian have said yes. Our people have said no. That's the section. It's it's a before. It's an after and before video. If you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah. I know Derek Bly. I know that Derek Bly is annoyed because he says that uh, um, that uh, the Guardi there was some sort of a conversation, and then the Guardian led the crowd towards the anti-immigration protesters, inferring that the Guardian moved 
after the conversation with Mick Barry? Uh, you know? No. Yeah. No. Okay. 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 Thanks for clarifying that. Thank you. Much obliged. Don't look. Keep journalists with the echo. Calls, texts, and comments on the way. Text 0868104106 after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. It's pretty bad, all right. It really was. It's nothing to do with racism, says Eric. It's about realism. We can't afford financially and economically to house people when we already have a housing crisis. No problem with women and children coming into this country from Ukraine for sure. But where are all these middle-aged men coming from? From countries that have no war. The government is equivalent to overloading a lifeboat on the sinking Titanic and they don't care because it won't affect them. The one thing about us Irish is when you rile us up like this, we decide when uh, and when we've had enough. And this government is waiting uh, for a child to be killed before putting up stoplights. See what's happening in Sweden. Um, I can't read out the rest of that because it's just too inflammatory, but that's enough of that one. Thank you for it. Uh, you can't blame people for being upset. Well, I'm not Irish, but my kids are. I work like everybody, uh, but I get where people are coming from. It's just about unvetted people coming into the country. We're in a housing crisis. Irish people are on housing lists forever. There are plenty of houses for those coming in, but where's the fairness in this? Uh, unfortunately, I'm feeling this too. I work, pay my taxes, pay my way, and I see how unfair it is on our people. I am part of the furniture as well. Uh, more understanding is needed on both sides. Nobody is being racist. It is what it is. There is no room for everybody. Sorry, just an opinion. It won't change anything, but at least I get to say my bit. Uh, Podrick joins me online too. Podrick, good morning. You hear me okay, Podrick? Mean, how are you? Oh, nice one, thank you. Uh, Isabel, you are a member of the Irish National Party, so if you were there on Saturday, you would be there as part of an anti-immigration rally. Exactly, yeah. We were out protesting the uh, 21st century plantation of our country. The 21st century plantation. Plantation. Isn't that a crazy word to use all the same, though? It is, yeah. It's a very inflammatory word and it needs to be used because that's exactly what they're doing at the moment. That there is an intentional plantation. There's already so many Irish homeless in the country and they're bringing in so many more people. Again, where are they going to go? Where are we going to go? Where are our children going to go? Mm. Well, do you have a roof over your head? I do, yeah, because I live with my mother still. Okay, okay. But you would wish to have your own place then? Yeah, please okay. God, I'll be moving out now next month. But um, my God, that was some. I, I feel like I have a lottery ticket now because I'm moving out. Mm. Um, just with regards to Saturday, though, yours was yeah. a rally and you said the other one was a counter rally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they, they, yeah, they turned up at 12 o'clock and we turned up at 1 o'clock to do our one and we were very peaceful with them and they started, they had, my God, they had 20, 25 guards holding them back and they were throwing eggs at us, they were doing everything. And I'll be honest, if, if an egg hit me, I'd laugh, I think it was funny. But the fact that they were throwing eggs at women and children, like those were violent people, masked up to the eyeballs and like they, they looked ready to go. Uh, like, yeah, they uh, the, the, odd, the odd mask on both sides, in fairness, the odd one. Yeah, when there was five or six lads at least I saw flinging eggs and my god they, like, they looked they were shoving those guards like mm. we saw uh, Mick Barry and the Sinn Féin TD chatting to the guards and then a couple of minutes later the guards were marching them down the road Have you any understanding why that happened? Why the guards were walking well, down well, the road? All of a sudden all of the people on the other side the other protest if you like Cork says no to racism moved en masse with the guardie walking in front of them towards your rally. Why? Like, like fundamentally, they are quite violent. Like, like, go to a protest yourself and see 
who are the ones peacefully protesting and who are the ones getting dangerous. And you'll see that it's always the kind of left-leaning, more sort of liberal, the anti-racist, they call themselves. Uh, well, you would, you would say that, but there would be loads of evidence of, um, of violent behaviour and shouting and roaring and name-calling and chanting on both sides, to be honest. I mean, I've seen the videos. I'm just asking you a question as why all of a sudden would one group with the Guardian in front of them, I'm trying to get an answer to a question as to why they would think that would be a safe thing to do. Because they know they'll get away with it. Like our Ardfesh we had in uh, Northern Ireland last year, that was attacked with hammers and knives. And uh, the Irish uh, media almost didn't cover it. It was only covered up in uh, Northern Ireland. There was only a couple of small newspapers that covered it here. They came with hammers and knives. They hospitalised minors. They come with hammers. Like, they know they'll get away with it. Like, mm. The fella Stephen Bedford that uh, ran over the lad up in Dublin, um, he was out on bail. Like he was in a car. And tell me what's being what is being achieved when you just have people gathering on both sides, and one is counter and one is pro, and they end up just shouting and roaring at each other. They took take up loads of guard time on Saturday afternoon over twenty. A lot of people were put in fear, including those that were just going about their business, had no idea what was going on. It achieves nothing but increases hatred. The reason that the National Party come out to events like these because we're fighting for the working class pe- people who think they no longer have a voice in politics. We want to let people know, look, we're here and we're here for you. We're putting the Irish people first. We want every single Irish person to have a home on this island because it's our island. And I'm all for giving, um, giving help to nations when all of ours are looked after first. But when we have Irish people in danger or out of home or whatever the case may be we have to put them first or we're not a nation at all we're just a piece of land that anyone can take if they want it and at the moment that's sadly what's happening mm-hmm. and like I have nothing against other nations I wish all the best for Nigeria Pakistan whichever uh, nation you're from but in like in Nigeria put the Nigerians first in Germany put the Germans first in Ireland put the Irish first mm-hmm. it's because you could be accused of being completely uninterested in anybody coming into Ireland unless they're white? No, not at all. It doesn't matter if people coming in are German, English, French. Um, like, we need to put the Irish first. We're not like, they, they say ridiculous things about us. They, like, they're on the internet all day. They look up all this Hitler stuff. We're not like that at all. Look, we want to put the Irish people first. We're the exact same as the men in 1916, exact same as the men who fought in the Civil War. We're fighting for the Irish people. And never forget that. That's what the National Party is all about, the Irish people. But what does it achieve, though? All it achieved on Saturday was an example of hatred and vitriol and name-calling and you know, people using terms like fascists and racists and paedophiles and scum. Yeah, exactly. They'll say all that stuff. But I swear to God, Neil, go to a rally and talk to the people there. Talk to the people who are, who are against this mass immigration, this plantation. That, like, that's what we're fighting against. Because like, there was, there was 10,000 Irish homeless at the start of last year. They brought in 80,000 Ukrainians. Yeah. And then at the end of the year, there was 11,000 Irish homeless. Like, where are they planning? Like, how are they finding all of these hotels and stuff for the um, Ukrainian refugees? And look, I'm all for, look, I, I feel very sorry for Ukraine. But how come they're housing the Ukrainians before they're housing the Irish homeless? That is absolutely disgraceful. And you know this rally that's planned for the 25th? Now, obviously, that's a rally that's been planned by Cork says no to racism. Do, do you intend um, also having a counter rally on that day, Saturday the 25th of March? Me personally, no. We're, we're not the type of people to turn up to other rallies and kind of 
force the guards to say, look, stay, stay back away from these lads. That's not the kind of thing the National Party do. We fight for Ireland. They're only fighting against people. They're not actually fighting for anything. So you won't, you don't think there will be a counter-rally? Uh, no, there might, yeah, there might be people who aren't National Party there, I don't know, but I, I, I personally won't be there and uh, none of the National Party lads will be there either. Mm, okay, okay. All right, thanks for taking the call, appreciate it. Uh, let me get my phone. Thanks, Carrie, good morning. Again that the National Par- yeah, yeah, you just want to say yeah, again? the National Party are fighting for the working class people in Ireland. Don't forget that, we're here for ye, okay? Are you All right, okay. Thank you, Padre. Kerry, good morning. Good morning. Go ahead. Because I could um, be, I could I be reading out texts after text after text until Friday, so go ahead. Right, I just want to make a point. I was there on Saturday and first of all, none of that would have happened if Mick Barry and Mick Nugent didn't organise a counter-protest along with Antifa, Cork Ultras, Connolly Youth and whoever else was in attendance. Now, that what I am absolutely disgusted about is the Nazi scum thing that they're shouting at people. We have a huge Middle Eastern bloc living here. We have Polish, Hungarian, everything living here. And they know what Nazism is. They've seen it. It's destroyed their country and their people. And for them to hear this chanted over and over again is disgusting. Now to mind the Jewish community that we have in Ireland and in Cork, also listening to this yeah, but appalling if was, no, but if you, I know that and nobody should be calling people names like that fascists or Nazis should, or people certainly on, on both sides call- on both sides on Saturday I, I, hang on a second there was none of us shouting Nazi scum at them they, they the reason the guards are in front of them I don't know how the guards managed to say sane because they listened to that for three hours four hours straight there was skirmishes between our people but also there was eggs thrown there was a can yeah, thrown I, I, yes. uh, and all of this right yeah. you don't turn around and organise a protest against Irish people who only and it's not anti-immigration it's controlled immigration there's a difference but you, but you were side by side with people who I just but, spoke to a second ago who were claiming yes, that there and, is an intentional clear. plantation of Ireland but does that not strike not, you as a bit kind of similar to what was being said in the 30s and 40s in Germany. And here, here, listen to me. Doesn't he it? does not talk for the rest of us, right? I don't agree with everything that he says. And therefore, I'm not going to accept that they think it's okay to use Nazi scum off our street. We have a huge Jewish community in this country. And for them to hear that, they've lost their generations of their families. Like, there's people living here from the Eastern Bloc who have lost families, who've lost their homes and lost everything. And for you to equate that, the Nazis absolutely decimated the Jewish community. They killed most of the Polish that went against them, and not the only Polish, Ukrainian, everything else. And for them to even equate that the same as Irish people wanting controlled immigration is absolutely insane. Mm. And to use that word I, is bordering on anti-Semitism. But why didn't you stay in, where in you were? Opinion. Why didn't you stay where you were then? Because the indications we I get from the echo is that you the, moved towards them first. No, hang on a second. Let's, let's get something straight. We were there before they ever came because there was a group of us there that weren't happy about some of the books that are in the library. We had put up our placards on the railings, right in front of, of to the right of, well, 
Yeah, to the left you of the You have a problem, you have a library. problem with, with Muslim, some Muslim books in the library or something. Is that what that is about? No, 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 no. We have a problem with some of the grooming books in the library and the sex education that they intend folding on our junior people okay. in primary right. school. Okay. It's nothing short of paedophilia and okay. it's vile. Okay. I was wondering but I'm not what the issue was with that. the library. Yeah. yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm on about the fact that they think it's all right to use that term to describe someone that only wants controlled immigration. And it's vulgar, it's offensive to all of those people. And it's bordering on anti-Semitism, in my opinion. How dare they? And to have Mick Nugent and Mick Barry in the middle of that, listening to that, and to say and do nothing is appalling. How dare they? How dare they even support that That he would be part of a crowd that would shout fascist and Nazi. That even that they would even allow that to go on for three hours straight, like they're the ones that organise this, okay. they're the ones that oh, support yeah. this, and for them to tolerate or even encourage that, it's quite disturbing. To be quite honest with you, it's highly disturbing. Okay, and and I just want to make a point, right, as well. You yesterday you said. Uh, that nobody was uh, assaulted by people walking away from any protest, and that's not true. I was assaulted in the car park next to the library by someone that followed me from the, pro- the last protest. I was shoulder bumped and nearly knocked in the ground. Saturday? And an egg was put. Not on Saturday, the previous protest. Okay. I, was re- I was referring and to the best of my knowledge about last Saturday, but what happened to you oh, at a pre- oh, but we, we for the previous protest, we were there. I was walking into my car. I had put something in my car and I was coming back to the tunnel of the car park. And this guy came towards me, shoulder bumped me, nearly knocked me onto the ground. I turned around because I was like, what is going on? And he fired an egg at me and, and, that, and then took off. Like, like, the reason it didn't happen Saturday is because we all made sure that we walked away together. Sorry that happened to and, you. I'm sorry that happened. It shouldn't And happened. it's appalling. And it's, this isn't the first time. I've had a can thrown at me from Antifa heads up in Dublin as well. Like, literally thrown at me, nearly knocked me unconscious. Like, the violence and the vulgarity is too much. Like, we're all entitled to our opinion. Okay. And I guarantee you, if we sat down and had a level, normal level-headed conversation, there could be a happy medium. Right. But what the government is creating is absolute insane. They've been getting away with it. They're stoking the flames, Sinn Féin and the whole lot. And for uh, Mick Barry and Mick Nugent to be in the middle of that is absolutely disgusting. OK, thank you for that, Tom. Good morning. How are we doing, Neil? How are we getting good, on? Good, 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 good. Uh, were you there? Us? I was, I was there, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do you have anything to add to what we've discussed this morning and indeed yesterday? To what? To what? To what? To yesterday that we were all racist on the other side. How dare he? How dare he call anyone? The last time I looked at the Constitution anyway, that every, every man and woman of area has a forum, which is freedom of speech. How dare he turn around, right? I'll put it to you right this way, Neil, right? I'm sick of listening about the parade, right? The march, the protest. I was on the empty, right? It's going to happen again, right? And it's going to get worse. Because it's going to get worse because of what Mick Barry and Nugent are saying. They called everyone on the other side racist, right? I tell you straight up. The biggest racist there was Mick Barry. He's the, uh, steady, 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 well, steady. Then, steady, on, steady on, steady on, steady on. Steady on why? Because it's, it's I, okay, okay so for Mick Barry to call everyone, everyone in Ireland racist, right? Yes, 
Yet, he doesn't do his homework, Neil. He doesn't do his homework. Because two weeks ago, over two weeks ago, Leon Brancard stood up in the doll and said, quote for quote, we will stand by our obligation to house refugees and accommodate, right? Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask one question. To no, you know, an awful lot of Irish people believe that we have an obligation to Ukrainian war refugees, oh, albeit oh may, maybe... Oh, war again, Neil. The what? war again. Listen, the last time I looked anyway, we were sovereign and democratic state, that we can make up our own decisions. No, that's got, right. not, that's well, got, that's, nothing, that's to, that's got nothing to do with housing oh, people who need refuge. Please. Right. It's and just morally, to... you're morally obliged to help others okay. in terms of Please, need. Can I give you we, were, we were helped. Can I ask you a question, so? Yeah. I want Mick Barry to go up to his constitutional office, right? I want him to sit down, right? And I want him to sit down in front of a family who have voted for him, right? And I want him to say he agrees with Leo Varadkar that we have to help out everybody else. So I'm sorry, you're in trouble, you're getting evicted. I can't help you right now, but we'll help everybody else. Right? He's leaving his own people down, right? No. What happened on the parade was argy-bargy at the best of it, right? It did get a bit messy. So what? We're entitled to it, Mike, our our night. We're entitled to it. You're, oh, you're totally entitled to demonstrate. You're totally entitled to have a rally. And I imagine people are entitled to have a counter-rally. I don't know whether that's actually a safe thing to do. But you are entitled to, to protest. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, calling some one crowd calling one shout shower Nazi scum and the other crowd calling them pedo scum. Yeah, know, just, just throwing eggs at each other and. You know, percent, I don't agree. And listen, it's going to get worse. I'm telling you, it's going. And this National Party came out to you, the young plan there a while ago. Let them talk from them, okay? Because they haven't a clue what they're talking about, okay? Or or our foundation on this and on our own concrete and own land, right? Was to help our own was to help our own people get it sorted first. Right? Why suddenly... Oh, another question, right? Modular housing. Where has been one mention of any Irish family in a hotel in Cork or Dublin or around the country that can go into that modular housing? None. Mm, for None. now, yeah. For now? What do you mean for now, Neil? None. Um, I'm living in in hope that an awful lot of these modular houses that have been built will be usable when Ukrainians go home. Does that make me maybe naive, is it? Oh, they're naive. Go home. To what, Neil? To what, Neil? They're saying you can want holidays at the moment over there. For God's sake, they don't want to go back home. I I mean, that's not true. They do, and many of them have said that they do. We'll have a couple go back home there and we'll rebuild and all this. How long is that going to bloody well take? Yeah, yeah. Come on, like yeah. and McBerry, no, would want to sit in his clinic and look at his own people, the people who voted for him and say, right, I agree with Leo Branca. Um, we're going to sort out everybody else, but at, unfortunately at the moment, well, we can't hold you. Okay. Come on. Okay. All right. Text Come on, to six eight one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone on zero eight one eight one zero four one zero six. Back after the break, more to calls, texts, and an awful lot of texts. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. 
Cork's Red FM. Uh, from yesterday's programme, we were chatting with the Cork woman who lives in Sweden and we were getting the Swedish pr- uh, perspective on things over the past decade or, or so. That's very interesting, actually, because uh, she was talking about issues regarding increases in criminality in Sweden when there was a very much opening of the borders in Sweden. That's what Josephine was saying. Uh, and I was taking a look at that and comparing it to the Irish scenario yesterday uh, with regards to uh, some of the paperwork involved in uh, stats in Sweden, where they would go from a very safe country to all of a sudden the second most dangerous country in Europe, I believe was the statistic that I got. Um, so I looked at a little bit of that and then there was a Swedish MEP that was very critical of Michal Martin at EU level recently. It was a fellow called, uh, um, fellow called Charlie Weimer, a Swedish democratic representative of the European Parliament. Um, he was talking about uh, Michal Martin's um, amnesty in Ireland for people who are undocumented. Maybe about 17 thousand people undocumented in this country according to Gript and there was talk that they would be given an amnesty that they needed to have their lives regularised so that they could stay here then Michal Martin was saying that companies need to um, have talent and ability and they need to hire people and it would be a good way of hiring them. No, none of this was helped in, and I'll come back to a lot of the issues regarding the, the, the Swedish model but they did look at the uh, high amounts of crime in Sweden and they were analysing uh, different uh, age groups and cohorts from both Swedish offenders and non-offenders and they found that um, uh, an extraordinarily high amount of crime in Sweden, I think it was uh, 47.7% uh, of, of criminality was engaged with people who were born outside Sweden and they had a big amount of people come into Sweden back in the day over the past 10, 10 years in particular where they were saying that nearly 20% of the Swedish population are foreign born um, so when you look at that then the, they're actually overrepresented they're overrepresented by um, you know population versus the criminality that they're involved in in Sweden like by a factor of two and a half if you can follow the analysis that I'm just giving you, but one of the things that really struck me was no, none of this was none of this was helped with regards to people looking towards Ireland as a place to come and to live, uh, and a place to move and find a new life and a new home. And, and God knows we all move around. You know, who of us are Irish when you think of it? With the amount of Irish that went to Australia or to the or to the UK or indeed to America or in my case Canada for a, a period of time. Mind you, you you have passports. I I, I get that. But um, it, a lot of it had to do, I think, with Roger Gorman back in the day when he said that asylum seekers will get their own keys to their own accommodation after four months, that they'll be able to work after six months. This was the policy that was been talked about uh, in 2021. Um, and he was saying that in the next four years, there will be a new system of accommodation. A lot of it had to get people out of direct provision and the awfully unfair uh, system of direct provision and the, the, um, the, the circumstances uh, that people have to live in those direct provision systems. Uh, so you're saying that over four years there'll be a new system of accommodation and there'll be all sorts of support for uh, people seeking asylum uh, or indeed international protection. They're important words, international protection. Uh, and he said that the state will provide health care, education and support for those seeking employment upon arrival here. He said that anyone seeking asylum here will spend no more than four months living in one of a number of new reception centres and they'll be provided with tuition in English language, in education and support in seeking employment. Um, after four months, they'll be allowed to move into, move into their own accommodation and pay rent based on a means test. They'll also be allowed to seek employment after six months. And accommodation will be own door accommodation for families and provide for privacy and independence. 
and single people will have own room accommodation which will end the dormitory style rooms um, that we have now with uh, regards to direct provision and, and, and that's all very well and laudable and it's a wonderful thing I'm not disputing that but that message went overseas because that was published online and it was there for all to see and I think many people around the world saw it and those that perhaps thought I need to move from where I am to a place that's better they probably saw this and decided that Ireland would be a good place and perhaps that's why it's one of the reasons why we've had a big increase in international protection order people coming into Ireland destroying their documentation on airplanes and it could be traced back to that story that I've just mentioned with regards to the sentiments and the plans of our politicians because the story out there is in Ireland you'll get your own key to your own front door within four months. That isn't 100% accurate, it's not really that straightforward but that's the story that's gone out there I think and uh, and that maybe is why Ireland is becoming more and more attractive. Also the fact that the UK has very much closed down from today now, from today uh, if you're illegal in the UK you're out upon arrival and you're barred from ever applying to come in again through even official channels. Sean, good morning. Thank you for holding. Is that me, is it? Yeah, go for it, man. Uh, go for uh, it. How's yeah. things, Neil? Yeah, How are good, you? good, good. What's on your Thanks mind? Thanks for having me on. Yeah. No, I just want to get a few things straight there. We have no obligation to take in uh, refugees. Our government opted us in to take them in. At any time, we can opt out. Yeah, but we want, we, want to be, we want to be seen to help, mm-hmm. you know? That's, yeah. it's, it's the right thing to do, isn't it? And we need to enforce our uh, deportation orders as well. Um, I just want to get another thing straight there as well. There's a few people behind this, these immigration policies. I'll just give out two names. I'm uh, not interested in the names okay. unless you've given them already. What do you mean? Uh, I mean, you're talking about senior politicians. You're talking about lay people going about their own beliefs. I mean, I can't, I can't just allow no, you to lay, start... No, not lay people. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. These are people that uh, control uh, policies in the EU. So one, one, of their, one of their names is George Soros. Yeah. He's the founder and board chair of the Open Society Foundation. Yeah, I heard of And him. this is a quote by him. Our plan treats the protection of refugees as the objective and national borders as the obstacle. Europe has to accept at least a million asylum seekers annually for this foreseeable future and the EU ought to borrow money to pay for surge funding for refugees. Yeah, but the word refugee is the important word there from where they're coming and what they're fleeing. Yeah, but you can't prove that they're refugees if they have no documents. Well, that becomes... Listen, that's the big elephant in the room here at the moment as to why people are arriving undocumented. I understand that. But and if, I, but I like what you said about the Sweden thing as well because there's actually a woman who's based in Sweden. Her name is Barbara Lerner Specter. She's the founder of Padia, a European institute for Jewish studies in Sweden. And she says that Europe is not going to be the monolithic societies they were were in the last century and Jews are going to be at the centre of that. What's your, and what, they are now you, going why are you even bringing that up? I'm just saying this is her, this is her quoting. She's, she's part of the, uh, the open borders uh, uh, background in the EU. They are now going into a multicultural mode and Jews will be resented because of our leading role. Yeah, well, I mean, that's fairly heavy duty. Yeah, that's fairly heavy duty stuff. Duty, it's, it's reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, so I don't, Barbara Lerner Specter and George Soros are behind I, this. 
I, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody actually wants, would ever want an open border policy where mm-hmm. anybody can come and go across other people's sovereign land. I mean, there has to be rules yeah. and regulations. Otherwise, there would be, there would be total chaos. Do you think we should enforce our deportation orders? If somebody, if, if somebody's found to be here and shouldn't yeah. be here and has no reason to be here mm-hmm. um, or is um, maybe engaged in criminality in another country and comes here and is rejected as, as, yeah. a, as a landed immigrant, should they be told to go? Yes. But absolutely, you have to enforce yes. the orders. Well, we have over 120,000 deportation orders that are not being enforced right now. See, I don't know about that statistic now. You're forcing them to go and have and check that statistic, and I'm happy to do it. Can you stand okay. over it? Okay, yeah. You check, look into it. It's, it's actually... Um, I'll give you the... I'll, do you want me to, do you want me to give you the... The, the, the 120,000 people who are in Ireland who have been refused permission so, to stay and have not been deported. So let me just say... The Irish Times, the Taoiseach calls for deportation of us failed asylum seekers as the EU toughens its immigration stance. Yeah. Ireland must be firm with those who arrive with a false story or false pretenses, yeah. or Radker says. So that's roughly 90% of the 100K plus asylum seekers applications, sorry, who've arrived here over the last 30 years and were seldom deported. 90% of them. So you're only talking about a 10% of that figure. No, that's roughly 90% of the 120,000 plus asylum seekers who haven't been deported. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take your word for it until I see those stats myself, because even what you're saying, I can't 100% follow. Well, can I, can follow. I just say one more thing? Yeah. There's a treaty, it's called the Treaty of Amsterdam, okay? Ireland has an opt-out from EU legislation adopted in the areas of freedom, security and justice, which includes immigration and asylum. This means that Ireland is not bound by EU law in the areas of immigration. Okay, we can, we can opt out. Just before I let you go, why, why do you have a problem with refugees? Why do you have a problem with people seeking asylum or fleeing I war or aggression? I don't. Well, what is well, your problem? Name, 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 can you, Neil, no, what Neil, is your problem you, then if you don't have don't a problem have a, with... I don't have a problem with the Ukrainians coming in. Right. Because they're fleeing a war. It's, there's evidence of such. But we have a natural border. It's called the ocean. Yeah. How, how are there so many refugees getting here? It's because of the policies by the EU-controlled government we have. No, no, you, 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 you can't just use the word refugee and have a problem with that side of it, but not a problem with Ukrainians. Is it that you have a problem with no, people no. coming here under an international protection order as, Neil, as I, economic migrants quotes. without I'm paperwork? I'm reading quotes from people. I never brought up refugees. I'm reading quotes from people who are enforcing these policies, George Soros and Barbara Lerner Spector. Yeah. So, so what about them? Like, yeah, we've, we've spoke about that. Okay. They're oh, the ones with the money. About, okay. George Soros is a billionaire who gives funding to the open society. He owns it. He runs the open border policies. He says the, the only obstacle are countries' borders. Yeah. That's his obstacle. So can he we agree? Can we please agree borders. that we need to have borders, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your problem? We have borders. So what's my your issue? Is, my issue is that the the people who I just quoted are controlling the EU and they're sending people here on false pretenses. There's a war going on in Ukraine. I've no problem with Ukrainians coming in and then going back home when the war ends. What other wars are there going on right now in Georgia, Algeria. There's people coming over from England that lived in England for years and raping women here. So, 
if you don't have a passport, my opinion is you shouldn't be allowed in. Well, I think you're going to find that many people would agree with that. Thanks for that. Back after 11, text 0868-104-106. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show Alright, a little bit of housekeeping for you You can now listen to Red FM on the Go Loud app and the online player and you can access not just Red FM but lots of other amazing original podcasts and music including a brand new station called Go Loud Country Hits and if you love country then I've got a great prize for you tomorrow Wednesday morning I've got some of the last tickets to see some of the world's biggest country stars at the Three Arena in Dublin It's Country to Country. That's the gig, and it happens right across the weekend. It's three nights of gigs, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and you could win yourself a couple of tickets for that gig across the three nights. So make sure you're listening tomorrow, Wednesday, to win whole weekend tickets with Go Loud Country Hits, and you can download the Go Loud app and uh, listen to Red FM on it. You can also tap Country Hits to start listening to that, should you wish. Um, we've got these 400 euro vouchers to give away every day. Um, and it's all about mo- removing tattoos. And they can have great stories behind them. The tattoo you got, the reason you got it, where you got it, what was the sentiment behind it? Did you remember that you got it when you woke up first thing next morning? You know what I'm saying? Like the funny stories, the cringy stories, the painful, the sweet the tattoo stories of regret. So you just need to share those stories, particularly if you have a tattoo that you want removed. We have 400 euro vouchers every day for tattoo removal, the black and white and the colour ones from shirleysbeautyclinic.com and they're now removing all tattoos, all colours. So keep those texts coming. We'll come back to it around about 20 minutes to midday today. Text 0868 Now, uh, I want to chat with Holly Kearns, leader of the Social Democrat in a few minutes time after the break but I got a very interesting email from somebody who said I listened to your programme yesterday about Saturday's rally I was there I'm not a member of a political party and I wasn't there to support any political parties I was there on my own to stand against racism and not allow the far right to spread their hate without people showing up their opposition uh, don't give out my name because of the threat of the far right You gave plenty of airtime to the anti-immigration people yesterday, including people who were pretending to be neutral, but within the first sentence, it was obvious what they stood for. I am obliged now to have my say. There was a very big crowd on the anti-racism side. We outnumbered the other side by about three to one. There was music, speeches, poetry, and a general very good atmosphere on our side. At the very start, a member of the far right came over and used abusive language. He was completely ignored and left when he got no reaction. Long after that, another really angry man came over shouting about the great replacement and he got very aggressive. Mick Nugent defused this, convinced the man to go back to the library side. When the speeches and music were was over, the anti-racism gathered and turned and faced the far right. Awful words. I can even, you know, I can even see that picture in my head. The anti-racism group turning and facing the far right. The police formed a line in front of them. Uh, then some came over trying to engage with the anti-racist demonstration. Um, someone had a selfie stick which fell out of his hand, fell on the ground and broke and retreated back to the library. Um, it inflamed the anti-racist demo and they inched forward over the next few hours, moving towards the anti-immigration crowd. Eventually, the far right headed off and a member of the anti-racist demonstration were the ones on the street at the end. 
It was obvious that the anti-racist group were all from Cork because the anti-immigrant group couldn't wait because they had to get buses back to various places around the country. What I saw on the side that I was on were people who were having a great, relaxed, celebratory time up to a point. When they were provoked, they may have moved forward. I saw a group of people who were justifiably angry. I saw a group of people who were sick and tired of being bullied, intimidated, harassed and pushed around by the far right. The people who were on here yesterday morning all said that they were not racist, just concerned citizens. Let's take them at their word for a second. The parties on the far right that were there on Saturday are opposed to LGBTQ rights. They oppose marriage equality. They oppose women's rights. Members that were with the far right group on Saturday have been calling into Cork City Library, harassing and intimidating staff about a book that they disagree with. The same people, along with other members, have been visiting pharmacies around Cork, intimidating staff and customers and filming customers without the consent. Filming innocent people just coming in for their medication. Uh, So if the people on your show yesterday think they are just coming out to ask questions about genuine concerns that they now have, we now know the type of people they're standing with and what these people stand for. I don't believe any of the callers yesterday are not aware how vile the people they're standing with can be. When they come on the radio, they like like, like they stick to simple lines of we're only concerned citizens, but then go on social and we can see exactly what they stand for. The bullying, harassment, intimidation, editing of videos of normal peaceful people and humiliating them. They stand against every bit of human rights that's been made in this country in its history. Stuff like women's rights, marriage referendum, gay rights. Uh, they want to bring the country back to the dark ages. They are people that are making our streets unsafe. I'm sure from what I've explained in the email about how they behave on social media, you can now understand why I don't want my name read out. It also probably accounts for not very many people calling in yesterday from the anti-racist side. We all well know that they would set the dogs on us and pile on. That's how they operate. The email may be long, but it would only take a few minutes to read out considering the airtime that they got yesterday. I think it's important to have our side represented as well. And that by email to neil at redfm.ie. Did I ever think I'd reach a point where on the air uh, I'd be reporting on something like happened in Cork on Saturday afternoon? We've seen videos of it having an, looking, you know, happening in other countries over the decades. Uh, but what happened on Saturday afternoon for me was uh, a first. Um, there have been other demos and they have been somewhat confrontational. I worry about the next one on the 25th. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM. Yeah, it's fine. I'm okay with that. You can have a go at me if you want. Um, uh, I see it. Why don't you support the Irish for a change, Neil? I get that. I understand. Wake up, for God's sake. Ukrainians aren't going home. Um, My role in all of these debates and conversations is to engage in balance, right? It's all about balance, a platform where people can have their... Uh, points of view. I try my best to give both sides in every discussion, argument, or indeed what happened Saturday, their points of view. And by trying to engage in balance, then I get caught in the middle and I get a bit of a kicking. I understand that. That comes with the territory. Um, it's upsetting, though, uh, but it comes with the territory. Uh, let me just change tack. Well, somewhat tack. I promised you that I talked to Holly Kearns, the new leader of the Social Democrats, uh, and all, well, not even a week in the new job, and we see the first poll come out from the Sunday Independent on Sunday uh, showing that uh, the Social Democrats have bounced ahead of many other political parties and she's bounced ahead an awful, ahead of a lot of uh, 
political leaders. The survey on Sunday's paper showed Holly Cairns just behind Micheál Martin as the most popular leader in the country. Uh, and if that wasn't enough for you, they climbed to fourth position uh, with regards to popularity by state of the parties just behind Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin two weeks ago. You would have neither of those statistics anywhere near that. And she joins me by phone. Holly, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking the call. Um, just interestingly, uh, curious just to get your thoughts on the state of the nation. Would you agree that we live now in a country where people are very unhappy, very disenfranchised, and even from what we saw on Saturday on Side, very angry? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Ireland always thought that it was kind of immune to the kind of far right and far right moves being made and ground being made on their part. But of course, no society is immune and, you know, tapping into people's genuine fears and concerns um, is what they're really good at. And I think we all need to check ourselves and and wonder, you know, if you find yourself standing next to somebody protesting with those sentiments that were highlighted in your listener's email, um, you know, to walk away. And we all need to be careful and to check ourselves mm. in relation to that. Mm. Uh, however, much of people's upset is very justified, isn't it, with regards to their own lives? I mean, and, and the lives of their children. Y- you recently described yourself as first generation to be less well off than our parents. Uh, that's a fairly astonishing thing, isn't it, to say? Absolutely. And, and that's what they do. They tap into, like I said, genuine fears and worries that we have. And, you know, in a country that, you know, is by kind of greater comparison doing quite well, it's quite astonishing that we have such a housing crisis, that we have such long waiting lists, that people are, you know, choosing between heating their homes, feeding their families, that we have the lowest employment rates for people with disabilities. And they're ultimately all a result of political choices. And, People are really frustrated and I feel like it's not that long ago that I was one of those people incredibly frustrated with the political decisions made in our behalf. And that's what motivated me to go into politics, because one of the things that I would remind all of your listeners and all of us should remember is that we are in charge of how our country is run by virtue of who we elect to run it. And that really gave me hope when I had that kind of light bulb moment um, during the social referendums that knocking on doors and asking for votes is how we change this. We've always had the same two political parties running the country. And that's because Ireland has such a unique history in terms of our civil war. People really identify with that. It's almost like, you know, the way you'd hear somebody say like, I'm Fianna Gael, for example. It's like the way somebody says, I'm Irish. And I think now we're starting to realise that the housing crisis under Fianna Gael's watch, the crash under Fianna Falls, people are starting to say, actually, you know, we need to start looking at policy. And this move towards kind of right wing, right of centre policies and privatisation and leaving things up to the private market has left us so vulnerable as a society. And now we can see a move towards more left of centre demand from the Irish people and that change is happening now yeah. you can yeah. feel I think the tide turning in Irish politics so it's a difficult time it's People turning around really but it's struggling. turning towards Sinn Féin though so in a political scenario wouldn't you have to do business with Sinn Féin or indeed Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael and you just get sucked into their mantra and be carried along by them That's why I'm so determined, Neil, to build our mandate as the Social Democrats, because I think I wish that we were an older party when this change started to happen. So after the the, the last election, the Social Democrats were five years old. And even as such a young party, we tripled the number of TDs, six. six. And that was quite extraordinary. And I think it showed and something I learned, uh, you know, through canvassing for marriage equality and repeal and things is that oftentimes if you offer Irish people a more 
kind of progressive alternative, there's a very good chance they'll take it. And, you know, I wish that we were bigger and older at that time as a party to offer more people that option. But I think that ultimately what happened is that the, the policy implementation of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael over successive governments left a void in the political landscape. And Sinn Féin were the only party there to fill it at the time. So now I'm so determined and so ambitious to build the Social Democrats to offer an alternative to both. And yes, you can say, you can look at it now and say, but who will you go in with? Yeah, and because it's you don't have enough time before another general election, which could be 12 months or 15 or 18, whatever. So you will have to look to someone. You've ruled out Labour. Who do you rule in? No, I ruled out going into a merger as a political party with the Labour Party. I would not rule out going into government with the Labour Party. Absolutely not. Um, we just consistently asked about would we merge with them? And I said, absolutely not. I'm very ambitious for the future of the party. That doesn't involve a merger with any other party. But I would talk to any other party about forming a government. I would drive a very Do you hard have a preference, though? Because, say that again? Do you have a preference as to whom that might be? It's difficult to imagine how the Social Democrats and, for example, Fianna Gael could come to agree an agreement around a programme for government because the very kind of principle of Fianna Gael is to leave things up to the private market. And we've seen how that plays out in healthcare, waiting this longer than ever before. We've seen how that played out in housing, record levels of homelessness. So their approach is the opposite to ours. We feel that there should be state intervention to ensure people don't fall beneath that floor of homelessness, of lack of health care. So we're on an opposite end of the spectrum to Fianna Gael. It's difficult to imagine a programme for government with them. But you don't rule parties out because you don't know what, like, the, the people decide. And then our decision comes down to how much can we impact this programme for government. What I will not be doing is going into government for the sake of it, to go into government, to make up the numbers, uh, you know, all of those things. We want to implement the policies that we think will have a huge impact. And so I wouldn't say no to any party, but like to give an example to your listeners, to be completely honest, it's difficult to see how we could work with Fine Gael, you know, and that's the truth. So it would be Sinn Féin then? There's lots of other parties, but we would absolutely talk to Sinn Féin about going into government um, it would depend on a lot and, of things. And look, I'm not the And only then you'd one have some magic about... pill then that would solve the disenfranchisement, disenfranchised or those that worry about their children and their futures, about those that are, you know, stuck in the box room still at home at 35 or those emigrating to Australia or people who are sick and in pain on hospital waiting. All of a sudden then you have a, a solution that politicians before you never had. I missed the very start of that question. I'm saying that people are apathetic towards all politicians. Why would it be any way different with you? I completely understand that feeling. And like I said, it's only four years ago that I remember watching those political programmes, listening to shows like yours and hearing people on and feeling completely disillusioned of hearing the same thing over and over again, broken promises. And honestly... I got so sick of complaining, I decided to try and go and do something about it. And what I've learned in that short period of time is that this is how we affect that change. And I don't accept, you know, that all politicians are like that. I think I completely understand why people feel like that, because I certainly felt like that. But like, for example, the two women who founded this political party, uh, Roisin Shorthall and Catherine Murphy, inspired me because Catherine has been a corruption exposing warrior in Irish politics, you know, and there is people out there who are in here trying to do the right thing. And I really hope that your listeners can can open their hearts and mind to that, too. And also because we are a new party 
and we don't have the kind of political well-oiled machine in every constituency in the country like the other longer established parties do. We need people like your listeners to get involved who may not have seen themselves in politics. I never thought I'd be a politician, you know. I never felt like politics heard me or saw me or represented me in the slightest. I need people to join us, to help us. That means people knocking on doors. Yeah. That means candidates. I'm appealing to them to say, we're doing things differently, but we can't do it alone. We yeah. need your help. Yeah. I, I read a very interesting Q&A that you did recently. I think it was RSVP magazine, it was. You said that in transition year, we did an online test to see what career we should go for. Everyone got nurse, architect and barrister. I got baggage handler at the airport. Is that true? That's true. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't one of those students in school that knew exactly what they wanted to do. I didn't really thrive in an academic environment. I struggled with a lot of subjects and, you know, I spent a lot of my life trying different things and, um, you know, doing different courses. I was never really clear on what I wanted to do. And I'll tell you what, Neil, (laughs) becoming a politician wasn't even on my radar at that time. But yeah, I, I think there's probably a lot of people out there who, like me, had friends that were really sure of what they wanted to do. And I remember feeling quite envious envious of that. I really wanted yeah. to be one of those people and they I wasn't. knew what they wanted and, to do, yeah. But why Why yeah. then, in the biggest county in Ireland, we have one woman TD, only one female TD representing the entire Cork City and County area? I mean, we have the big hitters, all right, Michael McGrath and Mion Martin and Simon Coveney, but just one woman. It's absolutely desperate. But why and is it that way? Is it that women... Are they discouraged from going into politics at a high level? I think so. And look, there's there's loads of actual structural barriers there. Like one of the first pieces of legislation I worked on when after the election was to get maternity leave for county and city councillors. There's no provision for that, you know. It's kind of designed um, structurally for men. But the actual reason, Neil, I think when you break it down, is that political parties struggle to get women involved. And I think when you actually zoom out and think about that for a second, because it's the parties who return the the, the TDs to the doll afterwards and they can't reach their gender quotas, quite literally. And I think, you know, when you have any kind of a an institution that's quite an old one, people in it are institutionalised. And like, I remember seeing when I first was running for an election, the 2019 local election, it was like, or sorry, maybe it was the general election, yeah. And on the front page of the newspaper, a candidate for Fine Gael had actually said, oh, we're thinking of putting these other two people on the ticket with me to reach our gender quota. Mm. And they ticked the geography and gender box. So there was no intention of getting those women elected. They were putting them on the ticket as sweepers for votes to get the chosen did, male candidate Did you ever so, experience that kind of treatment, either at council level or indeed as a, as a sitting TD? Where you were kind of dismissed oh, or absolutely. talked down yeah, to. Yeah, I think all politicians have who are female in, in Irish politics. But just to finish that point, sorry, no, because I am I, it, there is a, a, a thing at the end of it that, that, you know, in the Social Democrats, for example, we have more women than men elected in the Dáil and on the local authorities around the country. We are the only political party in that position. And I think that is one of the reasons why a new party without any of its old institutionalised ways is helpful. Because how do you go about governing a society that promotes equality if that equality doesn't even exist in Mm. the political party? Mm. It has a big impact the way we do things. And I think that the Social Democrats do things differently. That's why I'm so ambitious and hopeful, because we don't need to have a situation where we're a minority in politics, women in this day and age, like it's, you know, it's 2023. And like you said, like I'm the only woman representing the largest county in the country. There's actually six times 
more Michaels representing Cork than there is women. Mm. That's mm. absolutely outrageous. And that is because the established parties who return all of the elected members at the end of a general election can't seem to in- involve more women. And that in and of itself, I think, says a lot about the kind of incapability of them. Because then we have things today like, oh, you know, they can't address their gender quotas. We're in the midst of a housing crisis and they're lifting an eviction ban. There's all of these things that actually you would throw your hands up in despair. And for somebody sitting at home, you think, oh, but that's their job. That's for somebody else. And they must have this kind of broad sweeping knowledge that I don't know or understand, I can tell you it's not the case when mm. you get up here. There's mm. people just stabbing around in the dark, you know, and failing, to be honest. So you find, are you frustrated in Dáil Éireann then? Very frustrated. I mean, I've one of the things of going into opposition I've learned is actually hugely beneficial. It's so important that there's parties there holding government to account, questioning these outrageous decisions like lifting an eviction ban in a housing emergency. But the frustration of not being able to change the specific things. You know, I've particularly like meeting families in your constituency and all of us do that as public representatives. For example, Neil, meeting parents of children with disabilities. For one, you can't get an assessment of need. Then you go on to the long waiting list for the children's disability network teams. You simply can't get the help that you need. If you can afford it, you go and pay privately. If you can't afford it, you're simply left there with no other option. And then your child doesn't get early intervention, which we know is key to somebody going forward and living a full yeah, independent life. Yeah, I know. But I know, but I've heard this from politicians for years and years and years. It doesn't a blind bit of difference the fact that you're saying it now as well. You know? I actually, yeah, when I, I know that feeling when you're like, oh, all politicians saying the same thing over and over again. But there has never been a meaningful attempt to address, for example, the lack of disability services in Ireland. And that's why it's frustrating to be in opposition, because I'd like to go into government and be able to try and change those things. Because, yes, basically, like not one of those children's disability network teams is fully staffed at the moment. There's 91 of them. But yet we spend 500 million euro in a five year period paying the salaries of teachers in private schools. I mean, it's there's 51 fee paying schools across the state that's costing... um, half a billion in the space of five years. That would build an awful lot of disability places and special needs places and schools, wouldn't it? Exactly. And like in, for example, all of Cork Southwest, there isn't one special school. And so the, the department's own capacity review said that they would need 365 million to meet the unmet needs, people with disabilities. Then they allocated about 60. They're spending thousands and thousands, thousands apparently on recruitment for the sector but it's not working and they just keep trying the same failed approach over and over again. And like, we're a country that can afford to provide these services and we actively choose not to every single year. But that is up to us as the electorate. We don't have to vote for the same thing over and over again and we can't do that and expect something to change because they've showed us time and time again they're not going to address things like that. But that's why, yes, it is very frustrating up here sometimes because I would love to be in government and be able to try and address these things would properly, you, rather would, than calling them out yeah. and holding them to account. You know, but the, but just that story, then I don't mean to catch you on the hop here now. Christian Brothers College got three and a half million. Prez got 2.9 million. Closer to home for you, down in Bandon, Bandon Grammar got 2.6 million. One would think that the families in those schools with the children there could well afford to pay the full private education themselves, don't you think? It's called Vera got 1.6 million. I, yeah, I wouldn't be in favour of the state funding private schools. It's as simple as that. You would think that it should be withdrawn, that should paddle their own canoe. Yeah, public schools. I don't believe in, you know, one level of service or education for one child and not for another based on 
things like how deep your pockets are. Mm. You know, it's the same principle around healthcare. Mm. You know, no tomorrow, child should you, be more or less entitled based on how deep their parents' pockets are. I think equal access to education and healthcare are key, and they're key principles of social democracy. That if you go private, pay it all, it shouldn't be subsidised by the state paying private school teachers. No, I think that they should fund public schools. Okay. I don't think there should be a two-tiered system in terms of our education okay. system. Tomorrow's International Women's Day. There'll be an awful lot of corporate lunches and companies highlighting women in the workplace and their workers, which is all great. Uh, but I often wonder about the other 364 days of the year uh, when women are paid 14% less than men. Many are denied maternity leave, as you mentioned. Wouldn't it be better, um, you know, talking about International Women's Day tomorrow, to close that pay gap, provide maternity leave and support for women and mothers in the workplace, really to tackle it properly? Oh, completely. I mean, I was thinking that I'll be making statements in the Dáil tomorrow on International Women's Day and ultimately, Neil, I could go away and dust off my speech from last year or the year before and rehash it because nothing has changed. And it can become very tiresome just highlighting the same things on this one particular day. And look, I like that there's a day where we celebrate women and where we can highlight the issues. But it's completely futile and pointless when it's literally just that and there's no action after it. And I think, you know, things like maternity leave are the obvious things as well, but like crucially, one of the biggest um, threats to, to, to women in Ireland is it's gender based violence. And, you know, we've seen a huge rise in domestic violence throughout the pandemic. And then it really became so clear and that, you know, we have this is actually probably shock some of your listeners, but there's a recommended bare minimum for refuge spaces in a country. It's called the Istanbul Convention recommends this. And that's one space per 10,000 people. Do you know what Ireland mm. decided to do in terms of interpreting that convention? To give one space per 10,000 women. So we give 50% of the recommended bare minimum of refuge spaces and we're not even meeting that. Mm. And, you know, we saw it, I think, around, particularly around the really tragic death of Ashling Murphy, that people were saying, OK, here are the things we need to do to address gender-based violence. And one of them was that. The promises that were made that week by government and nothing to follow. In, in relation to that as well is, you know, proper sex education in our schools that teaches us about healthy sexual relationships. The Social Democrats introduced a bill for that. I think it's over a year ago now. Yeah. Nothing has been done in relation to that. Yeah. And what you'll hear tomorrow is big promises from government ministers and different people about the steps they're taking to address gender equality. And nothing will happen the following day. That is the truth. That is the reality. And I think sometimes when we're talking about feminism and women's rights and stuff, oftentimes you'll hear back from people like, oh, you know, complaining and hysterical and dramatic and things like this. We should all be kind of outraged and annoyed about the reality that over 50% of our population still don't have equal rights. That's just the reality. There's nothing over the top about that. It's something that needs to be addressed and can be addressed. Mm, mm. I mean, you, you talk about sex edu education in school. That's very divisive because you see what's happening with Enoch Burke at the moment. Where do you, where do you come in on the Enoch Burke saga? Uh, does he have any rights? Do parents who really and truly don't want so much change so quickly have any rights? I haven't followed the specific of specifics of Enoch Burke's case in terms of like the fines that he's getting so I can't I'm not going to he's fine fine every and day and the fines continue because he keeps going to the gates of the school and he went to jail because uh, uh, for not following a court order but all came down from the fact that he doesn't want to use pronouns as a teacher 
I think, look, I'm not going to comment on Enoch Burke because I'd prefer to know a bit more about his specific story, to be honest, um, before commenting on it. But in relation to him not wanting to use people's correct pronouns and the kind of debate that has grown out of that and has been very kind of politicised in other countries, I think that in Ireland it's important for us to remember the trans people in Ireland make up something like 0.1% of the population. There's about 5,000 trans people in Ireland as far as we know. And yet the scrutiny and spotlight on them, especially lately, you can imagine would be very overwhelming and difficult. So the numbers are so small, yet the debate is so heated. So we have to bear in mind how it must feel to have people like you and I on the radio debating their very existence. No, I'm curious as from the point of view of school. No, I'm, ta- I'm talking about schools and children in schools where this could be introduced into and will be introduced into the curriculum, certainly the sex education curriculum. Uh, are they too young yeah, for I don't it, know, I wonder? I don't, know what the, I don't know what the reason would be for not teaching children about the world in schools. And, you know, it's the same kind of debate we have around proper sex education. Like... People have always made those arguments that children are too young, that we shouldn't be teaching mm. them about these things. But like ultimately, we know that it's really important to learn these things and to learn about them in a healthy and educational way, rather mm. than from social media, from online platforms spreading misinformation. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important to teach children in school about the real world. You know, you talk there about the first generation worse off than their parents. Um, uh, you know, we have older people sitting in the dark and afraid to turn on the heating, with, you know, people without enough food. These are the things that people are living with day to day. You also speak of the issue of gender violence. Another thing that I deal with on the air is that if we have an open border policy like we, we seem to have or seem to be encouraging, that it will increase a lot not more criminality because we don't know of whom we are bringing into the into the country. Um, I think the Social Democrats were part of the uh, rally on, on Saturday afternoon. Am I right in that regard? I think that Social Democrats were present at the Grand Parade, standing alongside uh, those that were talking about, you know, being inviting and welcoming to all refugees and all asylum seekers. Am I right in that regard? Yeah. Yeah, the Social Democrats are part of the, the Ireland for All campaign, I think it's okay. called. Okay. Um, big supporters of it. Okay. Yeah, and but, but then my, my point that I came in on really is how can we facilitate an open border where yet more and more will continue to come when we cannot house our own, when we have a health system that's broken? How can we do it? Well, we need to address our housing crisis and healthcare crisis. You know, and that's obvious. And I think Ireland's always been open and it's important to highlight that we have a legal obligation to do that as well as a moral one. It's not like we can just close borders. There's a legal obligation on us and there's a moral one. And we need to remember as well that like Putin is dropping bombs indiscriminately on men, women and children. And there is a huge moral response responsibility on us to, to help in, in these kind of situations. And I think the problem while, while here we is fa- the no, But while we fail our own is the point I'm making. But the government response is a massive issue because they haven't moved on from an emergency response to a medium or long term one. And it's all been lumped on one minister in a department that oversees an awful lot of stuff. And as somebody who sits on that committee for that minister, we've mainly been dealing with issues around mother and baby homes for the last three years. So to dump it all on him and to not actually focus on this, like we were promised um, emergency modular housing to be built. That was supposed to be the first one was supposed to be in the autumn, I think, you know, and we're still waiting for these things. So I think this is the problem. And it's like we spoke briefly about the the far right movement at the the beginning of this conversation. The, the, 
they will tap into those legitimate fears and try and use them, you know, against people coming into this country. But we had a housing crisis before the war in Ukraine. We still have a housing crisis and the government's approach hasn't changed. That's the problem, not people fleeing war who need somewhere safe. So how do you fix the housing problem? So obviously, this is one of the, the situations that when I start talking about it, I don't want to sound like every other politician in the country saying we need to build 20,000 social affordable homes. But I mean, that is true. But we also need to tackle vacancy and dereliction. And I think I'd just like to point to this specific example, because four listeners hearing me saying we need to tack- tackle vacancy can feel like that's something that all of my public representatives say. You don't sound any different. You know, tune out. To explain to your listeners, as an ex- this is one part of the housing crisis, you know, there could be up to 100,000 homes that could be brought back into use through tackling vacancy. The government eventually, reluctantly agreed to bring in a tax on vacancy to try and tackle this, right? They introduced that tax at 0.3% at a time when house price inflation was at 10%. So if you're somebody sitting on a property as an investment sort of, and thinking, when when I sell this? And the price of that is increasing by 10% and the tax is 0.3. That is the opposite of an incentive for you to sell that So property. your answer to the question is to go after the private owners then who have properties that aren't in use. I don't call that going after. That's encouraging people through a tax um, incentive to sell properties that are sitting and lying vacant. Yeah. I mean, see it around Cork has a huge impact, not just on the housing crisis and families who are homeless. Emergency accommodation is full. What, what Hotels you, are full. Yeah. But it also has an impact on the kind of vibrancy of our high streets, of our towns and villages, of our cities, when there's so many vacant properties falling into disrepair. Instead of becoming you know, what could be a huge commodity for the country, we need housing, they're becoming a threat because they're falling apart, they're a fire risk, they're a safety hazard. You know, just, that's just, one just, example, because okay. I don't want to just say to your listeners, like, uh, tackle vacancy. I think we need to give more specifics now because your listeners are sick of hearing, build this many homes, tackle vacancy, do this, do that. We need to get specific. Just finally on that point, where you talk about uh, areas where, you know, homes and everything and hotels are, are taken up because they're, you know, facilitating Ukrainian refugees. You're, you're down in West Cork, um, and I know of West Cork and South Kerry very well. Isn't the tourist industry going to be decimated this summer because people who want to go somewhere would have nowhere to stay? The worst, I think, thing about the, the lack of forward planning from government is the fact that You know, your listeners probably know, everybody knows that once the summer season comes around, many hotels will want to free up those rooms where people are currently staying who need somewhere safe to stay. And that has not been done. The modular housing has not been rapid built. They haven't done any kind of long-term planning in relation to this. But are are you worried about tourism if if those hotels don't give up and and continue to house Ukrainian refugees? The tourism industry, say, for instance, in West Cork, is going to be hurt bad, isn't it? I mean, it's a huge part of your economy yeah. down there. It's a huge part of the economy and, you know, particularly our hospitality sector. And it's so vibrant in West Cork. And when you consider what people are already experiencing and in particular, if you imagine the kind of one woman cafe, the margins that you'd be making a profit on would be quite small. And then you consider the rise in energy costs. You'd be needing a kind of season to kind of keep you going if, if that's the kind of business sense, you're running. It's, a, the kind it's of not margin. going to happen because of the policy at the moment where holiday homes and 
housing estates that were built for housing, you know, uh, tourists, you know, five and 10, 15 house complexes. And hotel rooms are all gone. Restaurants will suffer, pubs will suffer, all, everybody that services the tourism industry, they're going to be put out of business. Yeah, and look, not all hotel rooms are gone, but many are being used, absolutely, and, and it will have a big impact. That's why there's a desperate need for an actual long, even medium-term plan in relation to housing um, people from Ukraine. Well, well, perhaps to say we can't. No, perhaps to say we can't actually take any more because people are suffering. Um, the Ukrainians clearly aren't very happy in where they're staying. How can they be? Uh, and on top of that, businesses are going to be decimated. But yet you say well, that's, continue you know, that's allow approach, people to or come. Or the other approach is to actually follow through with the plans to build things like the modular housing that we were promised several months ago. They have yet to even commence. But how could they come the up with a modular housing plan for others when they could never even come up with a housing plan, a housing plan or a modular housing plan for Irish people who are looking for somewhere to live? But that now you're trying to drive the same narrative as the right by no, saying that there's some I mean, conflation between these two things. They absolutely should address the housing crisis. I want that. You, you want that. We all want that. But we don't conflate the issues in housing with people coming in. We had our housing crisis before then. Do I think we need to medium and long-term plan for that too? I absolutely 100% do. And there's ways they can do that. Like I previously highlighted, but the government are not doing it. The solution is not to say we can't take people or try and help people who are fleeing a war where bombs are being dropped indiscriminately on children. We have to try and do our best. My issue is that I don't believe the government are doing their best to address the housing crisis. Okay, And and just finally, does that include the international protection order people who are coming in here and tearing up their stuff on planes? Does what include that? Uh, That we should welcome and facilitate and find somewhere for them to live pending an investigation or whatever. In particular, in relation to an individual or particular case, Neil, to be honest, I'm not going to speculate. I don't know. We'd have to go into specific circumstances. Somebody that arrives here under an international protection order who has torn up their passport or documentation on a plane can still come into Ireland and stay amongst um, the Irish community until their application is processed. They are given somewhere to live and all that comes with it. And yet... Well, why have they ripped up their passport? Are they fleeing a situation? Are they being trafficked? Like, that's what I mean. I don't know what the specifics of this case are that you're talking about. And... You know, those but if you went to if you went to America and you ripped or another country and ripped up your documentation on an airplane, would you expect to be able to stand to, to stay in that country? You'd have to wonder why somebody would do that. What situation are they fleeing? Mm-hmm. What kind of a desperate state do you have to be in? And what are the numbers of people doing this? I don't have that information in front of me at the moment, so it's mm-hmm. really difficult to say how that should be treated. But I'd imagine if you're in a situation where you're doing that, you're in a desperate situation. And I presume those situations should be taken on a case-by-case basis. That would be the rational approach to take. Okay. Listen, good chatting. Uh, Spent a lot longer than I had intended, and I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Congratulations on your appointment. The massive improvement in political ratings, just as a politician and indeed as a political party. And best of luck going forward. Thank you for taking the call. Thank you very much. All the best for now. Holly Kearns.
Ali Kearns, leader of the Social Democrats. Your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868 104 106. Back after the break. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104 106. Okay, back to all conversations in the morning. Before I love you and leave you for the day that's in it, your texts are welcome on all topics, incidentally. Text 0868 104 106, and I'll plough through as many of them as I can tomorrow. But Jason, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Now, <laughs> this tattoo, right, is the Grim, <laughs> the Grim Reaper burning the Irish tricolour. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of a bit rough. It's not the greatest tattoo. It's scary in that, but I was already smiling and stuff. It's very bad. So this was when we turned from pounds to euro. You were, yeah. on, you were on the lash with your pals... Uh, you yeah. had a few bob we were very young at the time we were young like we were only about I'd say I was about 14, 15 or 16 and I got money and we were drinking with the lads because we you had changed the all the money that you possessed from pounds to euro uh, you had a good yeah, lash of money yeah alright okay uh, and, and McCurrentry we done it to, to see the euros we went into the shop and changed it to the pound into the euros just to see what it was like and we went drinking then okay and the following day when you woke up no, it was great. the following day, I was looking for my money and I was gone. I was ringing the lads. They said, where? We, I didn't even have a phone at the time, so I called the lads. My money is gone and stuff. And they were like, no, I don't have it at all. Because I had about £200 at the time and couldn't find the money. And we were all drinking. We were after having a bottle of vodka and stuff. Oh, and for God's All my money is gone. They said, when you took the money, and we had an argument, and that was the end of that then. And a few days later, I went down the stairs and my mum was in the kitchen. She goes, what hand your hand? And looked at the tattoo. I goes, what do you mean? And showed me the tattoo and I goes, oh, jeez, I forgot it was there. Did it take then, you four days to notice that you had a tattoo was, was on like your a, forearm? It was like three or four days. Do you not though. feel the pain from it? Isn't that painful for no, a while? No, I didn't feel nothing. I genuinely, when she said it to me, I kind of blurred back that I did get it. But I couldn't remember nothing until it was said to me. So you can go into a tattoo parlour, Langer's, and they'll still put a tattoo on you. I do, yeah. And do you want rid of it? Oh, I would, yeah. Either that or cover it. <laughs> but I'd say I'd get rid of it because that's meant to be a scary thing. It's kind, of, them, you know. it's kind of neither here nor there. It's, it's, not, it's not very artistic. It's not as if it's done by a serious professional, to be honest with you. I'd get oh, rid of it. I get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have going to be free doing it. <laughs> I know that's why you got in touch with me. Have you only got? Have you only got the one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I one small on my back. I have a crossbow on my back, but that's actually nice. I got that. You can remember the, getting that, can you? Yeah, yeah, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah. Can I share this online? You can, yeah. No, All right, well, okay. I'm going to give you 400 euro towards the tattoo removal. I'm going to send you into oh, Shirley's no, Beauty and Laser Clinic. There, to, And you've got a bit of colour in yours, so they'll be able to get that out as well. Lovely. Lovely stuff. I want to see the end result after it's gone, all right? No problem, no problem. All right, boys. Stay on oh, the line. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Good luck. 
I won't even go into the fact that you had 14 or 15 year olds drinking bottles of vodka that's for another day share your own stories though text 086-8104-106 you can always email neil at redfm.ie if you're whatsapping me send a photograph of the tattoo and uh, tell me the story behind it and you never know you might win a 400 euro voucher tomorrow and all week long courtesy of ourselves and Shirley's Beauty and Laser Clinic they're now removing all tattoos including ones like Jason's which has the Irish tricolour in it in colour lines to stay open text 0868104106 have a good day I'll see you tomorrow for more Red FM podcasts go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts